What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Salutations. Welcome back to episode three of Mania Madness. Mania Madness is the Chairshot.com six-part anthology series where we're breaking down all 36 previous WrestleManias, six at a time. And Mania Madness is brought to you by the good folks at Chairshot Radio Network in conjunction with TheChairShot.com, reminding you all to always use your head. I'm Mr. Velvet Fights, Christopher Platt, and as always, I have an esteemed panel joining me this evening. First and foremost, we're going to start with the gentleman, my personal consigliere from Attitude of Aggression, as well as Bandwagon Nerds, the one, the only, Mr. Super Dave Ungar. Guys, how are you doing tonight? Mania Madness Part 3, the only show in the world that can maintain Limp Biscuits relevance. This is going to be a good time. Touche. I guess you're probably right about that, right? Like, I wasn't a fan of Limp Biscuit. I tried to be, but, you know, I just wasn't. And then 10 years later, Gym Class Heroes comes along and does what they do only, like, 20 times better. But this other gentleman is... They had a few good is, years, Platt. They had a few good years there. Three yeah, good but they didn't have a. Yeah, but they didn't have a few good songs. They had a few good years, not necessarily a few good songs. <laughs> what? You're not down with some Nookie? You know you are. Well, I'm down with Nookie, but... Anywho, moving right along... <laughs> This gentleman is queuing up to say something, so let's go ahead and get him up in here. Again, if you're hearing my voice, his voice can't be far behind. The commissioner of the chair shot of the world of the universe, Mr. PC Tuddy. Gentlemen, it's funny because I would say Limp Biscuit is more of an MVP to these six WrestleManias than the celebrities were to one of our other poll options, considering this song for this mania. And, in, and don't forget, uh, Undertaker at the time is using Roland. So... That's just a polite, you know, 
non-subtle, very out-in-the-open jab at my good buddy Christopher Platt. The people voted, Sonny. The people voted. Yes, you, Amber, and that person that lives across the hall from you all voted for the celebrity. So keep going. I still resent the assertion that I somehow, some way, fixed that election. Elections cannot be fixed, sir. All right? This is America. We don't fix elections here. Moving right along. <laughs> it's been a long time since I have potted with this gentleman. This is my brother from another mother. I love him dearly. It's good to see him. Ladies and gentlemen, from a winner as you, as well as the DWI podcast, the architect, the scientist, put your hands together. He's going to have his own applause, by the way. But put your hands together and show your love for the one, the only, Mr. D. B. P. Oh, come on. It's science. It's good to be here, Mr. Platt. It's good to see you again. It's been too long, been far too long. You know, I'm not a big fan of just plain old water, but when it's hot dog flavored, yeah, I'm kind of in. Oh, jeez. So. Oh God, that's disgusting. By the way, why would you name an album that? That's disgusting. <laughs> I don't even like saying it or thinking about it. Who drinks hot dog water? Who even wants to think about hot dog water? I think it's it only meant, I think people. it. I think it meant something else, but I think we should move away from that. You're probably right. By the way, the best way to do hot dogs is just a smidget of water, put the top on, and steam them. That's how you keep the flavor in. Move right along, because we got a lot to cover, a lot of ground to cover here, ladies and gentlemen. So. We left off with WrestleMania 12 last week. The boyhood dream comes true, yada, yada, yada. Shawn Michaels is triumphant in his Iron Man match versus Bret Hart. And after that, things get exponentially more interesting. And I'm not even being hyperbolic about that. So a couple of months after WrestleMania 12, Scott Hall makes his debut in WCW. A couple months after that, the immortal one, Hulk Hogan, makes a heel turn as the third man of the NWO and gentlemen, we're off to the races for, can we say the most popular and interesting time to be a wrestling fan of the modern era? The next dozen years for WWE, if you just take WrestleManias alone, they have half a dozen to 10, six to 10 of the greatest pay-per-views of all time with matches that are just ridiculously legendary for the moments that they've created. I mean, once again, I watched all six this week, and I just finished up 18, and good grief, man. That one's underrated as far as being compared to 17, in my opinion, but we'll get there. We'll, we'll definitely get there, but Dan, I mean, at this particular point in time, we're talking about the mid to late 90s, wrestling had such a grip on pop culture in this country i mean you couldn't go anywhere without seeing an nwo shirt or an austin 316 shirt or whatever it was plenty of kids were at school getting suspended for doing the crotch chop there's just there's a lot going on right here and i don't know if wrestling can ever hold i don't think anything you know, not just wrestling. I don't think anybody anything can hold that type of relevance in pop culture today because everything is so fragmented no, and and it's, you know, we're in a different era for sure when it comes to, you know, culture and and the world at large. And this was this was a time that we did just hit at the right time, right place kind of thing, you know. Um I think we got some people put in charge that wanted to change things and wanted to 
you know, challenge the norm and turned wrestling around, basically. I mean, you had some celebrities at other, you know, other WrestleMania events. You saw some celebrities, but obviously it got bigger into the mainstream as we moved into, you know, the mid-90s. And that, you know, it's the Attitude Era, as we call it, right? And with WCW coming on and, and Bischoff and the NWO turning into DX, the whole that whole thing just hit an attitude that everybody glammed onto and they wanted to be like these guys and wanted to have that rebellious you know phase and everything just clicked all at the right time it was just a whirlwind of kind of awesomeness so big dave and i'm I'm gonna fluctuate between big dave and super dave just because i want to show some love to marty funkhauser r.i.p but (laughs) tell me whatever you want buddy you are allowed my man my man so what are your thoughts just your overall arching thoughts on the attitude era in general well with all due respect to john moxley this is the paradigm shift this whole period of time here is when the industry radically shifts from you know from the golden era the hulkamania era where people thought it can't get any possibly can't get any bigger than this Ninety-three thousand one seventy-three. how are you ever going to beat that and that first block of WrestleManias we did was really uh, the first sweet spot. The area that we just left, it, there was a, a you could you could track it. You could see there was a lull and a decrease in popularity in the business. Things were going down. Things were going in a weird direction. We had the steroid scandal. Everything's you know wrestlers are getting smaller. And then you've got this period we're going to talk about here, which ushers in. The, not just the Attitude Era, but the Monday Night War. Like you were talking about, the NWO starts up in WCW. WCW starts kicking WWE's ass, and we're off and running. And like you're saying, it was just massive, just the the amount of interest in professional wrestling during this time frame, and, and just, you know, where you've got so many people who are so interested in the business. It was, it was an unbelievable time. And, Tony, I, I think it's a fair assertion that when the NWO thing takes off, when you see Scott Hall and then Kevin Nash and then ultimately Hulk Hogan, the insinuation is that it's these WWF guys that are coming over to WCW and trying to take over. I mean, I I don't think that's too far of a leap to make that. And obviously there were some legal ranklings back and forth about that. And WCW tried to distance themselves from that. But that being said, that was still, that's what it, what it is, what it is. That's what it was. Right. I mean, if you want to say that the part the part of people not knowing whether or not Hall and Nash were just showing up to interrupt the show, sure, there might have been people out there that were intrigued and jumped on board by that, but even smart wrestling fans back then knew that you're, you're not just going to show up on this billion-dollar corporation's network without a contract and interrupt their wrestling show, especially not two weeks in a row. So... It was just a great idea with the right people, I think, once again. And the funny thing is, is it caught on. It caught on to be that person that rebelled against the boss or came in and we cheered the smartass. We, we cheered the rebel. We cheered the person that, I don't know, basically picked on people, too. It was it was a weird time. It wasn't It wasn't necessarily great as a reflection on society as a whole when you look back at it. But I'll be damned if I didn't turn around every corner when I was in high school and into college and people weren't crotch chopping at each other, wearing NWO t-shirts, too sweet and everything else. I mean, it was the time in wrestling, once again, where 
Everybody knew Hulk Hogan and Macho Man. Well, now everybody knows the NWO. Everybody knows DX, The Rock, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I think we're still in a wrestling hangover from this area era. I know I am. It was the anti-establishment era, wasn't it? I Amen. mean, this is really what Amen. what this what this era is is people going against the grain, people not conforming. You've got you know. The whole thing with Vince and and everything that he's got going on with, with the, the the boss and the rebelling against the boss, and then you've got the takeover down in WCW going on and a whole new regime basically forming out of out of the remains of the old NWA, and now you've got the WCW. But then, and, and WWE and, and that that announcement that Vince made where he came out and ushered in the Attitude Era really kind of sets the stage. I know that happens between, I think, like, between 13 and 14. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's a wild time in pro wrestling. It really was. It was like the wild, wild west. And to PC's point, when you go back and watch it, does all that shit age well? No. But, I mean, if you didn't live through it, I don't even know how words could even describe just how prevalent professional wrestling was in the pop culture lexicon. Well, I mean, it's crazy because Dave's maybe a little bit older than us, and but us three were all, let's put it this way, us three were all juniors in high school when Stone Cold Steve Austin won his WWE championship against Shawn Michaels. And to be that age at that time is almost, I mean... We're, we're at the young part of, of of getting it, right? It may be been better to be a little bit older, but I'm glad of being younger. But between our age there, maybe a few years younger, and then even five, ten years past Dave's age, there's people that didn't necessarily like Attitude or that kind of realm for wrestling. They, they dug it because it was a new storyline with better wrestling. Oh, my God, did the wrestling get better. Well, and, you know, you guys mentioned the whole anti-establishment. This is kind of the first time that they started to kind of pull back the curtain kind of quote, right? And Vince starts to come out like he's the owner and he starts doing these kind of things. This is also the time when hardcore started to become a thing. You know, you didn't really have those matches in a sense before that, but ECW was just getting going as well and starting to do these overly extreme matches. And that's, you know, starts to lead into, well, people are starting to like this. Other companies got to start kind of doing it too, and you start getting these TLC matches. You know, you have these. You know, have you have Edge Christian and the Dudleys and the Hardys reaching their peak during this time too, where we start bringing in the hardcore title and you know all that stuff. The Hell in the Cells, the you know the more extreme, more violent matches, and everybody was into it and wanted to see these you know athletes doing more high flying stuff, putting their bodies at risk and loving every minute of it. You know, that's another wrinkle to it as well as you as you have these other huge stars like Stone Cold and The Rock becoming these you know amazing high level guys that you want to see your secondary cards of all these extreme matches and all that are huge as well and just as good and you know it's funny because you got to think about where we were at as a society at this particular point in time as well I mean you had the grunge movement coming out of Seattle excuse me, hip-hop was really starting to gain traction and ground and be a little more risque. On television, you got the Cosby show being taken over by Roseanne. You know what I mean? Uh, Allen Iverson in the NBA with the tattoos and the headband and the braids and stuff like that. So we were, you know, we were kind of 
more risque just in just in society in general and it's very rare that wrestling hits on that because typically wrestling is behind the curb when it comes to pop culture but it seems like it just hit that particular point in time that where we we were at perfectly it was the curve <laughs> really pro wrestling was the curve during this time frame it, it captured like you're saying chris people were ready so ready for a change and so hungry for a change and so we said anti-establishment and all that people were just really ready for something different they were tired of the same old superheroes i mean everything vince said in that promo where he ushers in the attitude era he was exactly right people were tired of the superheroes tired of the prayers tired of the vitamins we want something different we want bra and panties we want all this stuff that he brought out there and thrust it in your face i mean it was you got to give your credit to the old man because he was he wasn't that old back then but he was way ahead of his time everybody it's funny everybody said oh he's lost his touch he was way ahead of his time back then and i i certainly don't want a broad nor panties i don't have the chest for it i'm like an a cup but that yeah, being do. said yeah you do let's Chris. take a let, let's take a no i don't Dave. but let's take a quick break and, and get into these manias right quick you're listening to mania madness on the chairshot.com this is your boy Kenny Killer telling you to make sure you check out thechairshot.com bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out thechairshot.com. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. And welcome back ladies and gentlemen. I just wanted to do that. I don't know why. So, again, we're coming off the heels of WrestleMania 12 going into WrestleMania 13. So, just a brief bit of backstory initially the card for this particular show was going to see Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart in a rematch to their Iron Man match at Wrestlemania 12 the feud between Shawn and Bret that's well documented we don't really have to get into that I mean everybody else and their mom has broken that down if you're listening to this show you already know what it was I'm sure we'll touch on it briefly but you know what it was so Sean all of a sudden gets a knee injury and I put that in quotation marks could his knee been injured of course he's a wrestler to that veracity probably not and the whole I lost my spouse speech and all that goofy shit y'all know how that goes down so now we need a new main event for Wrestlemania and we have to totally rework the card plus our top guy is not going to be on the card now so at the same time this is happening you have this I don't want to call him a young upstart but this foul mouth Bill beer swilling melon farmer coming out of nowhere by the name of Steve Austin and he made his mania debut at 12 I think he was still doing the ringmaster gimmick he had his feud with Savio Vega by now he's king of the ring he's stone cold Steve Austin he's talking that shit and he's starting to get a little bit of a buzz generating here right gentlemen I think he's you know he's kind of the catalyst for everything that started this you know he what was nice is, you know, it, it kind of happened organically. You know, that's that was kind of the cool thing about it. You know, he came in, his gimmick was kind of trash, and, you know, they let him do his thing and, and look at where he became, you know. So, uh, what's that? Right here in Milwaukee at the King of the Ring. Oh, yeah, against Jake the Snake. BT-dub. Yeah. FYI. OMG. <laughs> T-T-Y-L, bitches. But... It was, you know, it was kind of the start, right? He was he was a bad guy 
and everything, but he maintained that attitude and just you could see the fans starting to like enjoy that kind of character and it just kind of grew and it grew you know and it it, it wasn't as was expected to be that way and then all of a sudden you just you saw that momentum coming and they ran with it and that's what's awesome about some of when you see that actually happen that organic transition into a superstar it's it's awesome and that was like the best one that i can remember happening you know and being able to watch it and remember so, like last sorry chris go ahead yeah I'm, I'm gonna set you up man i'm gonna throw i'm literally about to throw it right back to you i just wanted to touch on something that you said previously and you talked about how people were sick of the prayers and the training and the vitamins well, I mean, has there ever been in the history of the industry a more white meat baby face than Brett the Hitman Hart? And it kind of goes to what you were saying, because as Brett's popularity was dwindling within this feud with Stone Cold, which started at Survivor Series in 96, Stone Cold was picking up heat. And it was literally for the exact same reasons that you alluded to earlier. Yeah, Brett was as much of a baby. Well, no, actually, I'd have to disagree with you, Chris, because remember, the Hart Foundation started off as uh, as heels, big time heels. And then gradually evolved into into uh, ever since Bad News Brown stabbed him in the back at WrestleMania four. Then, yeah, Bret Hart was your white meat babyface. I'd say Ricky Steamboat's probably the ultimate white meat babyface because he was never a heel. But Touché. um, last last the last block that we talked about when we talked about WrestleMania seven through twelve, Tunney had said that that the fans had gotten smarter. They'd gotten more intelligent about how they were perceiving the industry the, with the signs, with the chance, with their interaction, and not just willing to accept what they were given, not just, you know, being guided down the primrose path. And Austin is the first heel that you see fans not only kind of cheer, but gravitate towards en masse. You know, that they really just start to get behind this guy who, Okay, Undertaker had some of that, sure, but not to the level like people got behind Stone Cold Steve Austin. So much so to the point that what you see happen at WrestleMania 13 was made possible because of the way the fans were reacting to not just Austin, but Bret Hart. And it's, you know, you don't see opportunities like this. They come along once in a generation, maybe, if you're lucky, and, and you're sitting right in the middle of it during the build to WrestleMania 13. So I want to get back to right where you're at, Dave, but just real quick, I just want to lay a little bit of groundwork in regards to WrestleMania 13. So we have to switch it up. We end up getting Austin versus Bret Hart for as in the submission match, and obviously we're going to get in, delve into that. I mean, goddamn. But Sid and Taker are in the main event at WrestleMania. So I just wanted to say that. But Dave, getting back to what you said, was this the rise of the dirt sheets? Because I, I recall this particular mania. I didn't watch it, didn't order it. I was at a friend's house, and we were following along with the match results online. And and some of you might not remember this, but I know everybody on this call remembers this, where AOL would just send you CDs of internet time, and you'd have, like, 48 hours worth of free internet and whatnot. Yeah. So this is what I, I first got. I think I still have a Net Zero account, right? <laughs> no, I remember going over to DP's house and I'd be like, "Hey, can I jump on here and check my fantasy football team?" He goes, "Yeah, you got two minutes because I only got twenty five <laughs> minutes left on my fucking free this month." I'm like, "Okay." 
But this was like the this was literally the first mania that I got hip to message boards and shit like that and talking shit to people online and whatnot. So was this also this particular era? Was this the rise of the the dirt sheets as well? Yes, no, maybe so. I mean, like by the end of it, like one hundred. By the end of it, I completely right. Yeah, for the first two blocks of Mania Madness, remember what I kept saying. Remember, kids, There's this no is internet. before the internet. <laughs> Can't say that now. Now the internet is here, and and you are starting to get the smarks are starting to come out a little bit. But yeah, I think Chris is on to something. Isn't, you started to isn't the be- isn't the beginning of thirteen a part of it? Shawn Michaels backstage on a computer doing this. Being a yeah, funny no. little pecker guy, pecking the keys like he doesn't know what he's doing. A funny little pecker. When did PW Torch start? Right around this point in time, right? We used to read them. Keller, wait, Wade Keller to... started his stuff right around in here somewhere. Yeah, because he? we read them in high school for sure. We get the paper, yeah. Well, because Lindner would always bring them in. Yeah. I think it was about this time because the Observer, what was that, 93? I can't. We had. I think both of them were around at this point for sure. Yeah, they were. They were. You, it was like boom, boom. You know what I mean? It was like one and one A. I just can't remember. I, I, I know Meltzer was first. I just my timeline is a little skewed. I don't remember the the actual. The years. biggest thing about them back then wasn't necessarily the news, but you get the results because everything was so far taped in advance. So you could bet idiots at school that dude. Oh no way! This guy's gonna lose to that guy. Okay, okay. Well, I, I just I got a feeling. And then you start oh, realizing yeah. that uh, all these house shows are the same. <laughs> <laughs> if, hey, you gotta find two next year. Wikipedia is accurate. Wikipedia is accurate. He founded the Torch newsletter in '87, and it started a website in '99. So a couple years. A couple years. Oh wow! After. So I'm I'm way off '87. Yeah. I, I know I know some of the sites I still go to today just to check on stuff before you go ahead and podcast on shows where you're going to talk about up to current events for wrestling was around very much in the early 2000s and and even before then I think so. And this is also it marks a shift in the industry as well as in how they made their money because prior to this the TV shows were basically infomercials. So think about it how the porn industry is now. You go to the porn websites to, and you look at the girls and then hopefully they can draw you to their house shows, i.e., their OnlyFans or their pay sites. So <laughs> TV was basically the infomercial. This might have been. For this the might be the best analogy ever on the chair shot radio network i mean i gotta say that was pretty fucking brilliant i appreciate it i appreciate it but the the tv used to be the infomercial to get you out to the house shows and go see the shows live and this and that this era right now we're starting to move more towards into the pay-per-view model which okay we've got the tv yeah we're making money off these house shows but we're gonna make huge money off these big shows and these pay-per-views. So I kind of think that this era was the impetus for that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, because... And the other thing that happens during this era is (laughs) you get the expansion from the big four pay-per-views to now there's 12 and 14 a year. And that all happens during this block that we're talking about here because up until what? summer, Up until WrestleMania 12, you know, you had the big four and they added King of the Ring, Right. You didn't have backlash. You didn't have over the edge. You didn't have, you know, 
Punjabi prison and hell in the cell and all this other. Well, shit when did in on. your when did in your house start? In your house, ninety six. Right? Yeah, in your house. So I think ninety six about when it happened. Yeah. yeah, that that's that's this block, isn't it? <laughs> what the hell am I talking? I'm making my own case for me. Thank you, scientists, for backing me up there. I appreciate that. And Dan, I, I know you have some <laughs> thoughts on that, so go ahead and and spew your venom, sir. What's that? In your houses. Not in your houses, just the the pay per views and the gimmick pay per views and all that type of stuff. Where oh. we're at now. Yeah, I don't think yeah, we, that we, was. Oh. We, we didn't get to that yet. It was it was how he liked it back then. Yeah, this was this was great because there was no. Yeah, they didn't have the gimmick pay per views. They were, you know, this is when they started doing more of those gimmicks at least and having Hell in the Cell matches and TLC matches and you know all that kind of stuff really started during this era and. What I love loved about it is that they were not predictable. You know, you'd, you'd build up towards that match rather than going building up to the pay per view. You'd you're muted, <laughs> but they you know rather than just ha- knowing like oh February is going to be elimination chamber. We know what's going to happen there. It's like I want to build you build to a storyline that ends with one of those matches or something rather than building knowing a pay-per-view is coming and you know it's going to be a tlc match or whatever i just not a fan of that style what why why you tell them how the sausage was made dan i wasn't talking to you i was trying to send a message to tunny son of a bitch (laughs) (laughs) so wrestle so uh tunny help me out here man wrestlemania 13 was it it wasn't boston was it no that was 14 what was where was wrestlemania 13 help me out here chicago it was Chicago, Rosemont Horizon in the Chicago, yeah, in Chicago, Illinois. Dave, not the best card ever. It was no. basically a match card, but that match, is this the most important match of the modern era, considering everything that sprouted from this particular match? Oh, wow, that's that's a loaded question. But I would have to say that... <sighs> It is, I'll say this, without question, it is one of my top three WrestleMania matches of all time. It is also the greatest double turn in the history of professional wrestling, bar none. No doubt about that. Uh, The rest of the card is forgettable other than a few notable things. I mean, part of the problem with WrestleMania 13, too many six-man tag matches. No one gives a shit about six-man tag matches. And this card is plagued by them. But you do get to see the debut of a, a guy named uh, Rocky Maivia, who would later be a very integral part of this block of WrestleManias that we're talking about. He debuted, gets his first win. You get to see his dad, which now looking at, you know, with, Ro- with losing Rocky Johnson last year, kind of watching this back, you get a little smile on your face seeing Rocky and his dad uh, beating down the Sultan. And uh, who was the other? Rikishi. Rikishi. That was Rikishi. Was yeah, Rikishi. Rikishi was the Sultan, and he had yeah, Iron. And, uh, Iron Kayfabe, damn he had Jesus. He had Shiki. Oh. He had Shiki and Backlund with him, and then right. after the match, they all tried to gang up on the Rock, and then Rocky Johnson came out, and the Rock. See, if I ever got to interview Rock, I would ask him, "Is that your favorite WrestleMania ever?" And I would imagine it is because he got to be. fend off the heels who he grew up. He grew up with the Sheik. I'm sure he knew Bob Backlund when he was a kid. Go watch The Young Rock. A lot of that's true. A lot of that, like, his books are, you know, so you gobble it up. But a lot of it's true. I mean, Taker Sid isn't 
the worst match of no, all time. No, it's not. That's one of Sid's better matches. That's a pretty good match, to be honest. It with is. You. I mean, the problem with that match is Brett's the interview in the fucking that Sid ring gives before. As as, <laughs> yeah, Brett's in the ring almost as much as the other two assholes. That's the problem with the match. But there's do some uh, weird I mean, shit. They do some weird but, shit on main know. events too. Do you ever notice that, like, at some point, like, I know I'm. This is. I think I forgot to say this last time. At some point, Hogan when he starts coming out. His whole thing is to beat up his opponents before his music is stops playing, before the match starts. Do you remember that shit? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. that was that. No, you're right. That was kind of weird. But the thing with Brett was, in case the heel turn wasn't cemented, now you fully fledged know Bret Hart is an asshole. Yeah, but, but a lot yeah, of that, that was about him and Sean too, though, because Sean was on commentary. Well, yeah, yeah, but we're we're saying the same thing, just different. But that Taker Sid match, it's not horrible. It's not as bad as people would lead you to believe. Is it the greatest match in the history of wrestling? Of course not. It's Sid. It's Sid. <laughs> as I was going to say, it's Sid. How's it going to be? But it's That's not crazy. bad. And the high spots, I, my, my fault, Dan. Let me just get this out real quick. And the high spots, the people popped for him. Like, the crowd was into it. Go, go ahead, Dan. No, but DP, I always knew Sid was going to lose when it came to Mania time because he had to be at free of that belt so he could play softball over the summer. <laughs> As uh, when the Dillonator and I started watching some of these, uh, we renamed Psycho Sid to uh, Sid Ziggler. I'm pretty sure that's Dolph Ziggler's dad because of the curly hair. I think that's where oh, he got that, it. So, I thought you was talking about the uh, the motivational speaker, Zig. No, no. But you know, I I thought what was funny is is 13 is plagued with it as well. You know, and some of these others are plagued with it as well. But you know, they talk about the interferences and the and the ref bumps and all that stuff that is like people bitch about these days that they hate seeing that pay-per-view should not have these interferences and, and, you know, slowing down the match and all these botched, you know, goofy finishes and stuff like that because people are interfering or all these ref bumps. Well, every match had that at this era, like it happened all the time on pay-per-views and this was no different. I mean, yeah, Bret Hart coming out and interfering, you know, before the match even started for the for your main event of the paper, the closing match of the pay-per-view, you have a guy come out and talk shit before the match even starts, then comes out later and interrupts it. It's like it's crazy. It's crazy. They they would they hate to do that in this era. You sound like Jim Cornette right now. I just had to throw that out there. <laughs> God damn it, so, where's my racket? Sonny, <laughs> you know you want to say it. Uh, fuck Jim Cornette. There you go. <laughs> but this, we're not quite added to the just yet with this mania. This was the precipice of that. You could clearly see where we were going. Because on the other channel, on TNT, they were super risque. And one of the weird things about this particular era is that at the same time that the WWF is finally realizing, okay, we need to up the ante a little bit, more TNA, more violence, more chair shots to the head, speaking of things that don't age well. Yeah, but you know more, what? You know, more ant- can I can I just interrupt you? Because at the same time, while, yeah, they had a little edgier product for, for a short span of time, it wasn't it was it was more family edgy like it was nitro girls it wasn't the storylines we're about to talk about within the wwe and that's one of the reasons that they lost is because once wwe flipped the switch they couldn't compete they 
they weren't allowed to do the same as risque stuff on TNT that Vince was allowed to do on USA. That's a fact. That's been talked about. Like, Eric Bischoff said, I would try and go for this, but I couldn't get nearly the amount of crap that Vince got over because Vince let his talent do it without him knowing. I firmly believe that. You think they had the roster to do that? I don't think they had the roster to do what Vince did. No. I mean, Hulk and Macho were well past their primes. So let's 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 be real about that. Uh, Goldberg is still at least a couple years away before they get any youth infusion in there. But but you know, with thirteen, we're yeah, like Chris is saying, we're not at the Attitude Era yet. But there's one that one match on this card is the is is the <laughs> that is the Attitude Era right there. Austin Hart is the Attitude Era in a microcosm. Everything about the Attitude Era is funneled into that one match. And says, "Here's what we've got on the on the horizon for you guys, because are we at the point where we're talking Austin Hart, or are we? Where are we? Yeah, yeah. Come on, let's do it. Yeah. All right. So here's a lesson for for you know the AEW marks out there right now who think that, oh my God, it's so cool that they bleed and they do pal drivers. There's a lesson to be learned from Austin Hart, is that yes, blood can be effective when it's told in." the context of a great story if Austin doesn't bleed in that match and you don't get that lasting image of him locked in that sharpshooter with that the proverbial crimson mask is that match does it does it resonate as much as it has all these years later I would say no hell but, no it's not you know, close but you look at you go back to just a couple weeks ago revolution you look at John Moxley bleeding all over the place against Kenny May nobody gives a shit because it's like, well, they bleed all the time in AEW. Great, you guys can blade. It's cool that you can blade and do pal drivers, but there's got to be more to it than that. And this match here is a perfect example of, of blood not done for the sake of blood, but blood done to tell the furtherance of a story and imagery and, and some visceral stuff that's going on in this match that really made this match, to me, uh, it really made it stand out because, yeah, Austin, if he doesn't bleed and he's not, and, and I understand that that probably wasn't intentional. They didn't, they didn't know they were going to get that iconic moment, but it works. You know, like Becky getting her nose broken. They didn't know it was going to turn into the man, but it works. So sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Here they were both. So real quick, and this was one of Platt's facts, but we'll get out the way right now. Obviously, the company, that wasn't the match that the company laid out, but Austin and Hart, they both conceded that, yeah, there needed to be blood there. And Stone Cold and Brett has talked about this, and I think I've heard Austin talk about it as well. He was apprehensive to cut himself because he wasn't used to it. He didn't know how to do it. So Brett was actually the one that bladed Austin in that particular moment. And I, I agree a thousand percent with Dave. That moment is not as iconic as it turned out to be if there is no blood. And just the story they told that, no, he wasn't going to give up, but he's bleeding out, so he's losing blood, he's in the sharpshooter, which everybody's submitted to the sharpshooter, and he just passes out. It just, yeah, it just adds another layer. And also give props to Ken Shamrock as well, who's the special guest referee at the time, that also added a air of realism to the festivities, I believe. Ken Shamrock plays an important role here in a very, very important time in wrestling history where we're transitioning because when you get away from 13 in my opinion and you're moving into 14 i don't care what the ratings say 
WCW is already dead. By the time we get to WrestleMania 14, it, it, it doesn't matter anymore to me. I don't want to get ahead of you. No worries, because I don't think they died till 15. But let's go ahead and get it to, to 14. Is there anything else that anybody felt they had to say about 13? Can I go off on that point, then? Yeah, go for it, man. We All right, we're transitioning into WrestleMania 14. That's oh, a transition music. you didn't know? <laughs> okay. It's, it's Austin. It, it's the second coming of Hulk Hogan better. Making more money, attracting more fans, selling more t-shirts in a time where you're allowed to be this crossover babyface, right? By the time he gets to WrestleMania and he's about to win the championship, it's it's it doesn't matter anymore. I know what WCW has on the other side of it, but they're so stupid over there. They're continue. I'll say it again. I'm going to say it for the third episode in a row. They're a TV company making a wrestling show where WWE is a wrestling company making a TV show with better stars and someone's actually the fucking charge. And that's the main thing because without that you don't you don't get Shawn Michaels willingly putting Steve Austin over like that. I, I don't think. I know he's got to go away because of an injury and everything else, but, man, I heard that there were people around just to make sure shit wasn't going to hit the fan that night. We'll get to that, but the one point that you made was there was an adult in the room in WWE as opposed to WCW and now AEW. Everything else you said, fuck whatever you was talking about. Because, but, in, be uh, no, but because in between... 13 and 14 Vince said I'm done taking booking suggestions from all these motherfuckers that I pay top dollar I'm done letting Hogan take over I'm done letting Bret Hart tell me what the fuck to do and that's why WCW died as well is because they never capitalized on Bret leaving WWE he doesn't even fucking sniff the world title till the end of 99 that's two years after the biggest fucking thing that ever happened in wrestling in my opinion and that's an atrocity. And that's why WCW is dead coming into 98. Because they haven't utilized Bret Hart. And Stone Cold is off and fucking running. So, and I don't think you can talk about 14 without the backstory of the screw job And how that carries into everything that happens in Boston. That, so, yeah, three things I wanted to touch on leading into 14. Okay, number one, and Dan, I'm going to throw it to you. And then Dave, I want you to come in here as well. Because since you brought it up, obviously the screw job. Everybody knows the story. We're not rehashing anything. We're not reinventing the wheel here. We know what happens. Brett leaves, go to, goes to WCW, clears the lane for Austin. Number two, Shawn Mike's back injury at his casket match at Royal Rumble versus The Undertaker. He falls, his back falls on the casket. He's legitimately injured, and I don't think we see him in a ring again after 14 until, what, was four or five years down the line. Number 19. three, 19, thank you. So, number three, Iron Mike Tyson and the confrontation that he had with Stone Cold Steve Austin. That's that shit, because at the time, Iron Mike Tyson, he's still popular, but obviously 20 years later, he's not as popular or as relevant as he was back then. But at the time, Iron Mike Tyson and Stone Cold and the double bird and the pusher around the world and all the chaos and the commotion that that caused – that was a big fucking deal. Like, to this day, I, I still show people that clip and they get excited about it. Like, I recorded it on my VCR at the time and would just show people over and over again. Like, that that was a huge deal. 
goosebumps. I get goosebumps now thinking about it. It's and we, you know, I mentioned that the how you know there was celebrities and stuff at WrestleManias, but this was the turning where the celebrity like it just took it to a whole new level. And I mean, what better, you know, celebrity non wrestler, you know, but still the the bat you know baddest man on the planet the you know other than Ken Shamrock coming in you know the year before having Mike Tyson and Stone Cold Steve Austin be face to face i mean you got the the most the biggest hottest thing in the world going on right now in stone cold standing up next to the guy who could knock anybody out with one punch in a boxing ring you know and you can't get any bigger than that and to do it at the pinnacle of Stone Cold's rise to taking over the title and he has to overcome you know stand in front of Mike Tyson and he can take all the heat while Sean's doing his thing it's it adds this other element you know to your main event that you don't you're not going to get anywhere else and that's just crazy to think about you know it's unfortunate that what happened to Sean you know I'm sure they could have maybe put out a, a better overall match but you know Sean's Sean's Sean and he's you know he's going to perform and he's at the top of his game when it comes to being on the mic and being the asshole and you know instigating things and having Mike Tyson right there I mean I don't know you couldn't get three more popular stars in the world in the ring at the same time so real quick Dave and then I'm gonna let you talk about whatever you want to talk about because we've thrown a lot of stuff out here but just real quick I don't want to dwell on the Montreal school screw job because, quite frankly, that could be its own six-part anthology series. But everybody knows what it is. But the most important thing that came out of that whole situation was that we had the impetus and the arrival, or the origins, rather, of the Mr. McMahon character. And that's going to play huge dividends moving forward. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, a couple things come out of the screw job. Um <clears throat> Mr. Mr. McMahon becoming the most hated person in pro wrestling. Uh, Legit heat on him for multiple reasons. You've got major heat on Shawn Michaels for his perceived role in it that many, many years later we discover wasn't perceived. It was an actual role in the screw job itself. You've got that. and, And yeah, in between all that, you've got Stone Cold Steve Austin, who is becoming more popular by the minute as we're going along on the on the road to WrestleMania 14. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was huge. Brett going to WCW was was a major, major, another paradigm shift in the industry because, like you said, Chris, it cleared the path for Austin. Now, if Brett doesn't leave, what do we end up with at 14? Probably a rematch of 13 with everything on the line. But I, you know, I, I just, I would say that it's huge because yeah, it does lead to the creation of the Mr. McMahon character. It breaks down the walls even further. Like I, one of you guys were saying earlier that this is where they pull, pull back the curtain, man. They just tore the curtain away at, at the Montreal screw job and said, get it the fuck out of here. Uh, and, and you get to see everything come to fruition with, uh, with this. And my, like Dan's talking about Mike Tyson was huge. Was this before or after he bit off of Vander's ears? This was after, I, yeah. This was after because I watched that fight with my grandmother, rest her soul, and 
my grandmother was a real G. Because she said, well, he kept headbutting me and pushing me. I would have bit his ear off, too. <laughs> I can remember being at home watching the Tyson Holyfield fight. And my, my mom and stepdad had called to check on me. And they're like, are you watching the fight? And I'm like, mom, put, put my stepdad on. He bit his fucking ear off. I'm like yelling over the place. He bit his fucking get out of here. Get out. No, you're full of shit. No, he bit his fucking ear off. But yeah. So Mike was the baddest man on the planet because he was just fucking crazy. And everybody was like, yeah. damn, he may not knock you out, but he'll bite your head off. So you better watch your ass. So yeah, I mean, I listened back to what was it, an episode of I think 83 weeks, Conrad and, and Eric Bischoff. Uh, that's 83 weeks, right? That's those are the two guys on that. They actually reviewed this moment that Dan's talking about, giving him goosebumps, the whole thing with Austin and Tyson, that episode of Raw. And they are silent during the moment where Austin and and Tyson are going at each other. And you can even tell Bischoff's like looking at it. And I don't know how many times he's watched it, but he's just watching it just dead silent, thinking to himself, wow, we really got our ass kicked right about here. Uh, he, So you know, even objectively speaking, you know brilliance when you're seeing it. And when you're crossing, I mean, and WWF got such mainstream attention from that, that one moment. And like Tony's right. WCW was dead in the water. Who gives a shit what the ratings were saying? It was over. The minute, the minute that Tyson shoves Austin, it's all over and done with. Yeah. I can't argue that. Now, another thing that's happening at this particular mania as well, Tony other than Undertaker and Kane, which was a damn good match, and that was a damn good storyline as well. But we have one Dwayne Dewey Johnson. So Rock comes on the scene. They push him really hard as that super-duper white-meat Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart, Lex Luger type of baby face. Doesn't connect with the crowd. He gets injured. He comes back. They throw him in the Nation of Domination. He starts to show more of his personality. And this particular interview right here, I feel like this is where it all took took off. I mean, he was having his feud with Ken Shamrock. They have an intercontinental title match later on in the evening. Rock loses, but Shamrock goes crazy and gets disqualified, so Rock holds on to the belt. But this particular interview with him and Jennifer Flowers, number one, it spawned birth to his famous catchphrase, smell what the Rock is cooking. And this was really the moment where that ship started to pick up steam as well so very similarly to how we talked about with the first manias that we discussed how we have the Hogan and Macho trains running parallel to each other this history is starting to repeat itself again here Tony Rock gets booked early on by Vince like a boxer with charisma as in people didn't latch on to this guy right away because they resented him for being allowed to be in the position he was because they all knew his history. So what do you do? Well, the guy has talent and the guy can talk so much like a boxer with charisma that isn't much tested. You book him correctly so that his, his aura, his, his, his credibility with the crowd continues to grow. Right. Think about, and, and, and it's, and, and, the comparison stops there because it's different between boxing and, and, and professional wrestling when you move forward because in boxing, you get fed weaker opponents. In wrestling, you get fed stronger opponents. Think about the Mayweather, line. Right? No, 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 no. I'm, this you, is a, you're not going Mayweather. 
I'm Go talking boy. about wrestling. If you'd let me continue, I was done with the boxing part of it already. Rock gets fed an enormous amount of talent to further his character. And when you're a heel and you have that mic ability and you're in with a, a, a group of heels already that have tons of heat, he just grows. It's Shamrock. And then after this, we talk about the amount of talent that comes through. And then eventually the people latch onto his character. But in between them hating him and, and him starting to get over as a heel, he gets surrounded by and fed tons of talent with whatever he does. And, and that's kudos to Vince McMahon. I, I still like the Money Mayweather rock comparison there because Pretty Boy Floyd Mayweather was knocking Melon Farmers out in the smaller weights and stuff like that, but nobody gave a shit. And then all of a sudden he adopts this heel persona as Money Mayweather, similar to Rocky Johnson to the Rock or Rocky Maivia to the Rock. All of a sudden he's the biggest draw in the history of combat sports. I, I, there's a parallel there. Dan, am I tripping? I don't know. Okay, cool. All right, so moving on. I think you're missing. I think you're missing the difference. And the point I made is because while those two things are the same in boxing, you get fed lesser opponents. In wrestling, you get fed higher opponents as to get over more you get over more with better opponents in wrestling you get over quicker with lesser opponents in boxing no that's fair man i'm not disagreeing with any of that but one thing that i I did want to bring up as well is the whole emergence of the undertaker's long lost brother that he thought he burned up in a fire i.e kane they had a that's gotta be kane exactly they had a damn good match on this show so gentlemen let's go around the horn and whatever thoughts you have on Kane and this match and whatever in the storyline and the build go ahead and throw them out there but Undertaker and Kane these guys have to be the best gimmicks in the history of wrestling right considering their longevity and the fact that one of them is Mayan now he's a mayor Mayan (laughs) (laughs) the fact that they pretty much kept the same character their entire careers is is probably pretty amazing and the fact that it was a gimmick character not just you know a guy you know with a with normal name or whatever that they kept the persona pretty much the entire time you know obviously Kane took off the mask at some point and all that kind of stuff and the Undertaker went through the dead man gimmick for a while but generally it was the same character and the fact that she could continue to make it relevant for decades is amazing and the fact that these two were tied together the entire time one way or another basically is also pretty amazing and anytime you wanted to you could have them together or apart and they could flip-flop just as much as the big show and they would put out a great match and that was what was awesome between their inferno matches and anything else they did was just i always loved watching them wrestle I, I got to imagine at some point Glenn Jacobs and Mark Calloway were looking at each other like, are we actually related? I'm not really sure anymore. Are we, are we really brothers? Because I'm starting to wonder. Because they keep that storyline going for how many decades now have they been brothers? Kayfabe. Tied to the hip for so many. I mean, Kane's involvement in that. The very got to remember, the very first Hell in a Cell match was in the build to WrestleMania 14 when he comes down, tears the door off allow Sean to beat Undertaker in that in that classic match at Bad Blood. Uh, you know, I this match between them, this this first match between Taker and Kane, arguably their best one, I would say, because you went into it thinking, wow, this might be the end of it, the road for Undertaker. 
because Kane just dominated him leading up, which is, of course, good storytelling. So when Taker actually wins this match, and what, he hits him with, like, how many tombstones, Tony? Ten? <laughs> Something like that. At least three or four. And I think it was Kane three. Keeps kicking out. And even the last one, yeah. even the last one, he gets a three count, and then Kane pops his shoulder up like a microsecond later. So it, the match is done really well. Uh, you got to remember also Paul Bearer's performance in this whole thing, coming out with Kane, warning Undertaker, your brother didn't die in the crematorium fire, and he was great in this whole storyline. But the match is the match is really well done. Uh, Kane was just a massive, menacing dude. So different. Like last time we talked to Giant Gonzalez at WrestleMania 9, it was just a joke. Twice the size of Undertaker almost, but just a joke. Kane in, in, is like on a par with like Diesel when you look at hit what he was able to do physically with Taker. Eons ahead of Diesel, like Kane actually stood up the test of time physically, way more athletic. Kevin Nash had no knees. It's too bad. Like I would love to have seen Kevin Nash the decent basketball player that he was with that kind of agility and health along with him at the mic later on his career. But Kane is fucking big. This guy is bigger than Undertaker in every way. He's taller. He's thicker. He's stronger, right? So, I mean, it's crazy. And and how close were they to missing on Glenn Jacobs too? Think about it. Think about what they did before him, but before he was Kane. He was, he was, this was almost, almost not even around. Like almost not even relevant, never to be talked about again, and and that's something that is he talks about is after the whole screw job happened, him and Mick Foley were were good friends, and Foley didn't show up to work the next day. Glenn Jacobs did, and they had talked, and Glenn said, "I, I just found something that's working for me, and I I need to make sure I, I I'm sorry I have a family." Foley eventually would come back, but. That's that's a very well known story that that Kane and, and and Foley were very upset about it, but Kane had finally found something right going through all those different gimmicks. Yeah, because this was strike three and, and he was out at Kane, this, that particular point in time. Kane is probably the longest lasting full timer of all time. Like and, he was I mean, full time for what eighteen years. And we also have to give props to Uncle years? Bruce Pritchard. Because this was his brainchild. I mean, so much so to the fact he named his firstborn son Kane. So we have to give him his props as well. Well, and this is, you know, what you guys are mentioning, you know, booking. This is this is booking properly and booking the right way and finding the thing that's going to work. You know, PC mentioned it with, with The Rock. You know, he, he came out and it was just, eh, it wasn't working. And they then they realized what they needed to do. They booked it correctly and did the you know and made him what he could do and put him in the right spot and that's what you got to do with some of these guys and you know obviously with Kane was this kind of the same way you need to book him the right way and book him properly and that's going to continue on you know you know same thing with Stone Cold it was you know the first gimmick as the ringmaster was crap you know and then they let him kind of do what he needs to do and book him properly and get him into the Stone Cold character and it evolves into this The Rock same way I, I think Kurt Angle is his late couple years down the road here he's the same way too he came out tried to be the, the Olympic gold medalist white meat baby face everybody hated it resented it he was great on the mic they did the same exact thing book him properly turn him heel boom immediate superstar and that you know Kane same thing right you, you 
you book them right and you can do a good thing with guys and make them superstars. You just need to do it properly. Well, let's, I mean, let's just give props where it's due. I mean, from our modern podcasting jobs that we've done for years where we run down WWE creative every chance we get for this run of WrestleMania's WWF creative, very few things that they did wrong. I mean, they hit home run after home run. I mean, it's like Barry Bonds hitting home runs uh, for this stretch of WrestleManias. They make a lot of excellent booking decisions. So speaking of an excellent booking decision, Stone Cold, Mr. McMahon, that's what it is coming out of WrestleMania 14. Mr. McMahon, a.k.a. Vince, he has fully submerged himself into he basically turns into Dark Vader here. Like, am, 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 am I overstating it here? Vince becomes Dark Vader somewhere in this particular point in time. So Stone Cold's the champ, and they're trying to act like they're trying to get along, and he's trying to turn him into this corporate champion. Obviously, it doesn't work. Shenanigans ensue, if you will. So at some point in time, Stone Cold gets screwed out of the title, and running parallel, you've got The Rock with the nation. He's bubbling. He's surfacing. You guys remember their feud over the IC belt previously. They've had their feud with DX. Okay, whatever, whatever. But Rock is starting to circulate and percolate. He breaks off from the nation. They have a less than amicable split. Rock is now the second lead babyface in the company, leading us all to Survivor Series 98 which is also some great storytelling by WWF as well. Mick Foley is, I don't know what Mick Foley's deal is. I don't know if he has daddy issues or whatever, but he just wants to be loved and accepted by Vince McMahon. We all go into Survivor Series thinking that Mankind, a.k.a. Mick Foley, was the guy that was going to win. And then, swerve, it's The Rock. He went from the people's champ to the corporate champ, and now we're off and running come WrestleMania 15, gentlemen. Yeah, this is uh, <laughs> like we talked WrestleMania four a couple episodes ago about a tournament that you know maybe didn't go as well as we hoped. The Dangerous Game tournament, on the other hand, was really well done, uh, crammed into one night with that ultimate swerve at the end where The Rock is the guy. He emerges as a champ, and from there it's it's all about he's the guy the buffer between Austin and McMahon. You know the Austin McMahon rivalry is at its high point during. This build into WrestleMania 15, the rocks the buffer between that and everything that Vince throws at Stone Cold Steve Austin, every obstacle that they, I mean, it's like the Daniel Bryan storyline and Kofi Mania rolled into a six month. Here you go, Steve, because they throw a lot of stuff at Austin to try and keep him away from that title. Royal Rumble, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, everything in between. It's a phenomenal storyline, and it culminates with, of course, 15 and the first of the trilogy between The Rock and Austin. So, DP, in my head, this is when the pendulum switches from WCW to WWE. We're heading into 99, and you can say what you want about WCW. Were they losing steam at this particular point in time creatively? Yes, but we can't negate the fact that 1998 was their largest grossing year on the books so they still have some steam left obviously some of the choices they made led to where we were at but now we're full steam ahead we've got rock we got austin 
we we got our Magic and Bird. You know, we got our Macho Hogan. We have our Hagler and Hearns. R.I.P. to Marvin, Marvelous Marvin Hagler. We have our Tyson and Holyfield, or our Tyson and Lewis, or, or our Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali. So I feel like right here in '99, when we made that pivot to where we were gonna go and the importance of these two guys, I think this was really the the death blow. Yeah, and I think this, you know, I, in a sense, kind of really good timing, right? And the unfortunateness of HBK getting injured, in a sense, kind of worked out with the whole McMahon thing because McMahon got to do this with Stone Cold, where maybe if HBK was around, things might have been a little different or they might have taken a different route. But realizing what they had in, in this whole story and, and how they could take McMahon to a whole new level as this you know, the evil overlord, Darth Vader, you know, ruler of the world guy who, you know, wants any, anything but Stone Cold to be champion and is just going to screw him out, you know, and you got the biggest baby face, everybody loves him, and you got the, you know, the owner of the company saying, this guy is out, I am, I want him out, and how much bigger can it get between a the baby face and a heel be with that? And the guy's not even a wrestler, you know? And he could just toss different, you know, somebody beat him, somebody beat him, and just do whatever they can. It's the greatest, you know, story in wrestling ever. So you you touched on something really deep right there, Dan, and I want you to expand upon it, and then I want to go around the horn with it as well. Brett's out the way. Sean's out the way. Those were your two top guys, and it, it wasn't all their fault. But at the same point in time, it is what it is. With those two guys on top, business took a, a significant nosedive. So now, due to situations and circumstances, we get both of those guys out the way, the way rather, and it leads to the rise of Austin and Rock. Well, and I think you know it started with the Montreal screw job. You know, it all started there with with Vince. I think knowing what he had obviously in stone cold and knowing the direction i think knowing a direction he wanted to go and brett didn't want to do it or whatever and he said you know what fuck it and let's let's try it let's go we can do this and you know he had, i think there was a plan there with you know with hbk in austin and then realizing after the screw job like we got something here with with vince being this ultimate bad guy we got something going and then sean gets hurt and now you're scrambling a little bit, right? Trying to figure out what you're going to do. And you got this talent, like you said, the rocks right there, you know, coming up. And it's like, okay, you know, I think we got our next guy. How do we get there? And you have this, you have this building up and you, you can obviously see it while it's happening, you know, and again, another organic thing where Vince just becomes this heel and they go, this is we got this let's we got to run with this as Vince being this ultimate bad guy to hold down the biggest baby face in the world and it's just going to make him even more of a baby face and it's just going to make everybody want to see what's going to happen next of how Stone Cold's going to get screwed out of this title and what he, or what he's going to do to take over you know to kick corporate in the ass and in that in between that time you got that next guy of the rock coming up and like you said it's that's your you know hogan macho man that's your your, you got two top guys that are at the peak of you know their career and at the peak of their fan you know stardom and you got like just gold in your hands like you almost can't screw it up 
<laughs> in a sense. With Austin and Rock, I mean, Austin and McMahon is is the real story behind WrestleMania 15. The Rock is kind of like slipstreaming off of Vince in a lot of ways as we lead into WrestleMania 15, drafting off Vince using NASCAR terminology. He's Vince's proxy in a lot of ways. But like Dan saying, Vince is doing everything he can to keep Austin away from that title. Rock is ascending quickly. We're not going to see Rock capture his true potential for another year. But as an antithesis to Stone Cold Steve Austin and the polar opposite, you've got Austin beer-swilling, finger-giving, gesturing dude who just doesn't give a shit. And The Rock is, is by this time, is no longer Rocky Maivia. He's The Rock. He's slick. He's a smooth talker. He's all about the corporate buy-in. He is the guy who... And at the same time, though, you can already see it happening at WrestleMania 15 with The Rock. Yes, he's in Vince's corner, but you can see him wanting to break out and be his own guy and be stand on his own. And that's what you see in this main event at WrestleMania 15, which is a, a tremendous match. I'll say this about 15. I think it's really underrated because, you know, of what's coming down the road. But this is a, a pretty damn good card, actually. Yeah, it's plagued by too many six-man things and, and fucking weird-ass battle royals and who the hell knows. But it's not a bad card. So a guy that makes his WrestleMania debut here, which is kind of interesting, is one Paul White, a.k.a. The Giant, a.k.a. The Big Show. Him and Mankind have a match at this particular Mania, and the winner is going to be the guest referee for the main event, Stone Cold and The Rock. Good match. Kind of hard to have a bad match with those guys, especially because Mick Foley is willing to kill himself. I kind of feel like Paul White is a bit of a wasted opportunity here in the WWE. And it's not all their fault. I mean, if you're showing the Giant every week, it's the law of dimension returns, you know. You know, he, he's a guy that would have fit in perfectly in the territory era when he could have traveled around to different territories and still been a big deal and a big attraction. But was Paul White a wasted opportunity in the WWE? I just don't think he had the time. I mean, they brought him in at what St. Valentine's Day massacre. He comes through the ring. He throws Austin through the cage. Um, and that's what literally a month and a half before WrestleMania. So to me, I don't think this was so much a wasted opportunity. It just like he kind of fell into Vince's lap and he's like, Oh shit, I got to I get, you know, normally nowadays Vince would have waited till after mania and introduce him on the raw after mania. But here he's like, I got to get him involved right now. That's a big name. People are going to recognize this guy. Um, so I don't know if it's a wasted opportunity. I like the match between Paul and, and Mankind, especially the end where Paul gets himself disqualified and Vince is like, what the fuck are you doing? You just screwed me over. I brought you in here for all this. And, and doesn't White just like punch Vince in the face and walk away saying, you don't own me and that sort of thing? He he did. But go, go ahead, Sonny. Think about how green he is, though, still. This isn't WCW where, oh, oh, big guy, make money. No, this we can you can tell a story. Can you get in the ring and fucking work? No, he's not anywhere close to being near that. He's not anywhere close to being whatever night that was. He kicked out of fucking seventeen stunners in a row, right? Whatever him and Austin tell that story where Austin put him over and finally made him realize that he was a giant. He had no idea how to work with the gift he had been given yet, and it's way down the road for him, unfortunately. You might be right, but. Dan, I, I can't help but to think that somehow, some way, if booked differently, I, I could see a scenario in which 
and obviously situations and circumstances precluded this because you know Austin's injury. But I, I could see a scenario to which we could have got to WrestleMania 2000 with Big Show versus Stone Cold as the main event. I I was on the same boat. That's the first thing I thought of was that he he's you know he's too green. You know the the, the whole WCW thing. You're not going to learn how to work and. You know WWE. It's you almost see it with NX, even NXT. You know nowadays with NXT to WWE, it's a it's a different you work differently, and they they do different things on Raw and SmackDown than you're gonna do on just a house show. You know you got to be able to talk. You got to be able to you know sell yourself to a crowd. That yeah, I, I don't think the Big Show was that great at it. You know, and it took him you know it took a while to understand that, and it's tough when you kind of get thrown in there. You know without having that opportunity you know and, and yeah it, it did it kind of fell into Vince's lap and you I get it because yeah you're not gonna you're not gonna pass on this giant of a man who does have the talent and has the ability and is so athletic uh, but it takes time I, I think we could have got there um, you know problems with injuries and things like that happen and you know we got the that fatal four way you know down the road here you know at, at Wrestlemania that you know I think I don't know if it's Vince or what I don't think ever bought into the fact that the big show could main event a tight a championship match on his own and he could have a great he could be that attraction but never main evented in a singles match and I don't think he ever got that they tried to give him that title match with the opportunity and him and the big uh, him and the big boss man's uh, was just the most awful storyline I've ever seen you know and that's you know that's what he got and that's kind of shitty um i just i feel like that's where his where he was in wwe he he just there was something that he never wanted to give him that opportunity to be that singles main event he never saw him as that singles main event guy well let's take a quick break and then when we get back as the immortal jim ross would say business is indeed going to pick up Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only five. $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Go to powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Get your free month. Again, that's powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. And before we continue, I'd be remiss if I didn't remind all you to use your heads by going to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot and pick up an official chair shot t-shirt. If you appreciate the content that we provide day in and day out here at the chair shot, the best way to make sure we keep providing that content day in and day out here at the chair shot 
is by going to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and picking up an official chair shot t-shirt you peruse the site you're going to find something cool and that you love I guarantee it thechairshot.com remember we're not just a website folks we're a movement so I alluded to business picking up and I meant that quite literally and this is one of the debates or arguments that my brother and I PC Tunney get into constantly because when he brings up his WWE Mount Rushmore he conveniently and consistently leaves off one Dwayne The Rock Johnson now remember where we're at right now here going into Wrestlemania 2000 which is the only Wrestlemania that was named 2000 no Roman numerals no nothing the Wrestlemania that numbers forgot the Wrestlemania that numbers forgot yes Austin's out he's got that neck injury we don't really know where he's coming from they do the angle at Survivor Series he gets ran over by the car they insert Big Show into the triple threat with Triple H and Rock he wins the title Triple H ends up marrying Stephanie he drugs her and marries her and then it turns out they're in love and now we've got the whole reign of terror the McMahon Helmsley era all that all that good shit whatever whatever now even without Austin the year 2000 at the time was the most profitable year to date in the history of the World Wrestling Federation and it was an ensemble cast yes we had little Mick Foley sprinkled in there they bring in Y2J here as well Big Show, Triple H, McMahon Helmsley I get all of that but the lead baby face at this particular point in time was one Dwayne The Rock Johnson and this was the first time without Austin there that he really got to flex his muscles and be that top guy Tony Saturday Night Live had a lot to do with that The Rock hosted Saturday Night Live and not only was he on Saturday Night Live so was Vince so was Mick so was Hunter and so was The Big Show and I'll tell you what we had more people get together to watch sat- that Saturday Night Live than we did for the upcoming WrestleMania. And that's a fucking shoot. And I can tell you that the the types of gatherings I attended for WrestleManias and, and wrestling events basically told me exactly what was going on in the wrestling world. Because people don't just get together for no reason over something that not everybody is involved in. And Saturday Night Live just push them forward and why is the rock not on my mount rushmore a austin made more money in the same era and b he's more of a movie star and you'll always know rock and i'll always love rock and there's no more no more entertaining character than the rock most likely electrifying indeed but saturday night live is a gigantic gigantic booster as far as mainstream pop culture goes leading into that. Dave, get in here, man. You haven't said words in a while. <laughs> you want to know why Rock's not on my Mount Rushmore, Chris? Because <clears throat> there's only four people on there, and there needs to be a fifth. And then Rock would be on my Mount Rushmore. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw something out here to you guys. See what you think. The most important moment in professional wrestling history is Stone Cold Steve Austin's injury between 15 and 16. Because if Austin doesn't go down, then you don't get the ascension of The Rock, I don't think. You don't get Triple H. You don't get these guys who 
had to step forward, and they they had to take the ball and run with it because they would have latched it to Austin, and you probably would have got Austin Rock a year earlier. When Austin goes down for as long as he was, and the Rock steps forward and emerges as the Rock. I mean, he was the Rock before. This is a different Rock. Triple H was Hunter Hearst Helmsley, largely. Yeah, he was starting to come into his own as Triple H. He really takes a huge step forward in the build to WrestleMania 16. Mick Foley slash Mankind becomes much more sympathetic. Big Show is now, like Dan was saying, not so green anymore. Now he's got a year's worth of experience behind him. He's much more formidable. He's looked at as a credible threat. You've got Undertaker carrying the business to a great extent. You've got Jericho coming in to a great extent. I'm going to say his name because he get doesn't Benoit gets involved right now. Kurt Angle rises. Arguably, in my opinion, if Austin is still there, I don't know if these guys get the same opportunities that they got because Vince says, my main guy's out. Everybody's got to step. And I even think that Vince and these other guys have talked about the, that to that same extent that Vince said, Austin's out, guys. You guys have to step forward and run with this thing. Here's your opportunity. Vince likes to talk about the brass ring. These guys all basically took the brass ring and not only ran with it, they just, you know, took it and, and, and absorbed it into themselves. So to me, Austin getting hurt is probably the biggest moment in pro wrestling history because when he goes out, you have a mega star in Austin, a budding mega star in The Rock. By the time he comes back, you've got four or five mega stars all there at the same time. And that was game over for WCW. Yeah. And this was at a time when you had a ton of talented wrestlers that could do that. And it's always, you know, it's it's the next guy up scenario kind of thing, right? And I Triple H, I benefited from HBK going down and him taking over DX to now Austin going down and him being able to get that opportunity in the main event. And these guys were all talented and all wanted it. You know, that was another thing, too. They wanted to be that guy, and they all went for it and could do it because you had guys even behind them that, you know, like I said, Kurt. this is the Kurt Angle when I was talking about, you know, Kurt in his first year, Kurt Angle was just so amazingly talented when they turned him and booked him properly, and he's winning all these titles immediately in his first year. He's won, he won every single title. You know, he's right behind there. And now you got yeah Triple H stepping up. You got Rock finally you know hitting that the peak now, and he's the top guy. And Foley's got his own you know hitting that character. Big Show's right there, you know. And then your your mid card is like as just as amazing and could you know you had guys that could step into that. And that's one of the big things about this era was the amount of talent that was there and willing and wanting to be that main event guy and they could step right in and do it and boom yeah like you said Dave mega stars just like that it's amazing because I, I disagree to an extent I think that Rock still would have became Rock and I think that Triple H still would have became Triple H just because he was that intelligent he was that cunning and I, I don't say cunning in a negative connotation because I mean he learned he sat under the learning tree of four of the brightest minds in the history of the business. I mean, Sean Waltman, Sean Mike, uh, uh, Diesel, Kevin Nash, and Razor Ramon, Scott Hall. Like, he he paid his dues, and he learned. And I think he would have ascent to the point that he got to regardless of whatever was going on. But then you also talk about the other guys that you guys brought up. I Jesus, Kurt Angle, Mick Foley, 
Big Show, Taker still roaming around there when he's not injured. Kane is that they were pretty deep, man. That's a murderer's row in terms of talent. Don't and forget the tag team division. Think about, this yeah, is think the, about the tag teams. This was the the yeah. ascent of TLC. Well, this was the triangle ladder match before TLC happened, but this was the beginning of that ascension of amazing tag team wrestling that you got to see. And that, again, that era of a little more extreme things, you know, you got the Hardys willing to put their bodies on the line, Edge and Christian. These guys, you know, willing to do whatever it took to get attention, basically, because they had these stars that were at the top that had, were getting ever, you know, that's the way it was, right? And these guys had to do something and they went out there and did it and that's you know a credit to them and their talent and everything as well because they put themselves on the map by doing that kind of stuff and not only did they do that after the match after they got their payday they went back and said i think we deserve more and they didn't get receive any argument they got more they got what they wanted literally yeah i mean to be fair go back and watch that match yeah they earned everything they wanted and more that particular evening. No, I mean, Jim Ross tells and, the story of them coming up after they got their payday from Mania in a meeting and saying, I think we deserve more, respectfully. And Vince McMahon said, yeah, no no argument. Here you that's, go. Yeah, that's a credit to that to those, guys, to those guys willing to, you know, risk things by doing that kind of thing and putting their, putting themselves out there to argue the fact and challenge and something you probably I, I don't know i guess i don't know if it happens nowadays but i'm guessing it probably doesn't which you know, one's they best take their money and be happy which one's best this the, the, the triangle 16 the, and 17 the try no 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 between summer slam yep yep <laughs> yeah yep yeah i think tlc i think the first tlc i think the the, the technically the second of the trilogy to me is the best the first one's real underrated because it gets lost with that huge spot at 17. But this is a hell of a match. And like like Dan's saying, the risks that Edge and Christian, the Dudleys and the Hardys take between those three matches, yeah, you don't see that anywhere in the world nowadays. I mean, young bucks go to hell. You don't take the risks that these guys did in these mega high-profile matches. So as much respect as I have for the young bucks, phenomenal team you're not on these guys levels you don't take the chances that they do on that kind of a stage and to pull it off like they did and come out unscathed well i say unscathed but how many of their careers got shortened by these this trilogy of matches right well, well maybe not christian that. christian's in christian and edge's main eventing mania well we lost edge for 10 years we did yeah, yeah. So a couple of interesting tidbits for Mania 2000, which that name is just goofy as that's, that name's goofy as yeah, but shit. okay, but think about this though. I'm sorry, and I know we're trying to keep going, but you brought up the fact that it's the most money making WrestleMania of all time. No, 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 no. I didn't say it was the most money making WrestleMania of all time. I said at the time, the year 2000 was the highest grossing Perfect. year in the history of the company. That's it makes my point even better, considering how amazingly crazy people were going for the year 2000. 2000, zero, zero, party over, oops, out of time. I couldn't help it. You set me up perfectly. In the year 2000, but, in the year 2000. 
Shout out to Conan. Okay, cool. Shout out to Conan. Yeah. <laughs> but a couple of interesting tidbits from Mania 2000. Number one, they only had one one-on-one singles match at the whole card, and that was the Cat versus Tori, which or Terry, I beg your pardon, not even Tori, it was Terry. So yeah, that happened. And number two, uh, wait, I, I Gator, have to ask you, D- Dave. I mean Terry showing dead ass. <laughs> I'm just gonna let you say it, man. Oh, it was nice. yeah. She was. I well, you know, I'll do it. I'll yeah. do it for you. She's showing dead ass. Anyway, go ahead, Chris. Bob, no, that was well played. That was very well played. But Dave, I'm gonna throw it back to you real quick, man. Because so number one, as you all know, Jericho was initially slotted to be in that main event. And even so, if you go back and watch this event on the WWE Network, it's not Mick Foley's face that's on the billboard. It's Jericho. And we've seen the billboards with Jericho's face in there. So a couple of things. Obviously, Vince wasn't sold on Jericho at the time. And number two, and this is what Mick Foley says, so I don't know if it was game or whatever, but he says that Vince really wanted him to main event a mania before he retired. But Dave... Would this have been better off if we just would have had a straight one-on-one match with Triple H versus The Rock? Because that feud was so hot, and it did so much for both of their careers. I felt as if that feud deserved to headline a mania at some particular point in time. Yes. Let's move on. No, just kidding. Uh, I I, I agree. I think Rock versus Triple H, uh, one-on-one, at this point in time, was what everybody expected. Uh, I'm glad Jericho wasn't in the main event simply because we got that great double championship triple threat, one of the most unique triple threat matches ever between Angle, Jericho, and Benoit. That was fantastic. I mean, I've never, I, they've never run a match like that that I can remember where one title's on the line for the first fall, the other one's on the line for the second fall. Angle comes in with both titles, leaves with none. So I'm glad they kind of went that way. But yeah, I think. Hunter versus The Rock was the match everybody wanted to see. This whole thing, we got a McMahon in every corner. Who gives a shit? You know, I, I mean, it was, it, was, it was something that at that point in time, Big Show and Mick Foley were significantly lower on the pecking order than The Rock and Triple H were. Those are the two guys who had really emerged from the Austin injury. And whether you think they would have got there on their own or not is it, almost irrelevant to the point we're trying to make at this point. Rock and, and, and Hunter were the guys why didn't we just have these guys wrestle for the title? And you go through all the machinations of this fatal four-way elimination match, and in the end, it's still Rock, and it's still Triple H at the end of this whole thing. So why did we go through all this other bullshit just to get there? I think, firmly believe, if there was a forklift involved in this match, Mick Foley would have won. There you go. <laughs> or a dumpster, by the way. Shout out to the dumpster match at WrestleMania 14 with hey. the New Age Outlaws, Cactus Jack, and Terry Funk, very underrated. Chainsaw Charlie, God damn it, Chris, get it right. My eye. Terry, <laughs> Terry Funk oh, been middle aged forty years. That shit is just funny to me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know why Triple H and The Rock didn't get this match on their own. I, I think that was that's that was they deserved to have that, and this this was the beginning of the get a McMahon on every WrestleMania era. This was the start of it, uh, but I, I I don't I'm glad Jericho wasn't on it. I think that's kind of the same thing too. I think they they felt he wasn't ready yet. I, I I still have a belief that McMahon probably never thought Jericho was a 
you know main event guy either you know but this was the that was the perfect way to go i mean because you that was such a great match in the in the triple threat and the story they could tell out of that too that kurt angle never got pinned for either one of the title to lose either one of the titles either was just amazing and you know we talked about the undercards too i totally forgot about the you know forgot to mention this this was the start of the radicals too eddie guerrero coming in to the wwf too and it's like jesus you got like just an incredible amount of talent it's just amazing and maybe that's why there's such a proliferation of multi-man matches because they wanted to get the maximum amount of people they could have on the card without doing like 20 matches like we have nowadays so you're like memorial giant battle rumble (laughs) yeah that that whole thing yeah, but they st- they were already doing all those things with tag team battle royals and gimmick battle royals and things of that nature. Oh, hardcore, the hardcore title. It, it, it's just you guys act surprised because you talk about dirty finishes and everything else and unclean matches that has existed over the entire amount of time, and, and then we we also talk about McMahon like holding on to things that worked for too long, and the the whole McMahon thing had worked. So why not when Austin's gone, play everything safe? And just in case Foley and Show were out there, but you got what you wanted anyway. You know you did. You already mentioned it. It turned into Triple H in the Rock. So what's the difference? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. You got Saturday Night Live out of it. You got Big Show hiding at nothing. Big We're not going to do show. anything to rock tonight, okay? All right, Vince. Okay. Big Show, what? Oh, it's just this chair behind my back. <laughs> that was genius. They could hide a chair. but you <laughs> The dude could literally hide a chair behind his chair. back. You couldn't see it. It was a fucking oh full chair behind his back. So, in, any other thoughts on WrestleMania 2000 before we ease on down the road here? Come let's on, get to let's, the good stuff, man. Let, ease on down, ease on down the road. I'm sure I'm the only person on here that's ever seen The Wiz, but cool. No, you're you not. See, I'm I'm old, Chris. God damn, you remember that? Touche, touche. I apologize, gentlemen. I apologize. You threw Michael him under Jackson. the bus right at the beginning of the you show. You know, Michael Jackson did exist before Thriller came out. I'm just saying. Oh, Off the Walls is best album. It's not even debatable. Yeah, but he didn't, have Eddie, say- Van Halen. he didn't have Eddie Van Halen on guitar. So, anyway, let's move on. Shout out to Eddie Van Halen as well, R.I.P. So, WrestleMania 17. Oh, my God. I don't even know where to start. Where do we start here? Tony, help me out here, man, because there, there's just so much going on at this particular point in time. Let alone we, we have WrestleMania 17 culminating with the two biggest stars in the history of the modern era, arguably, with all due respects to Hulk Hogan. I We've think, got... Go ahead. I think it's a good time to, to throw something in here that you might not be expecting tonight. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like... Uh... Your opinion, man. Start the conversation here. Around the horn. Yes or no? You're limited to one word. Is this the greatest WrestleMania of all time? Because a lot of people think it is. DP? No. Chris? Yes. Dave, answer and 
get us going. Absolutely. I look. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> Whatever. Where there's so much to unwrap in this yeah. event that wherever you want to start is is just a good time. So number one, up and down the card, all of the matches delivered. But the the reason that I say that this is the greatest of all time, not just the actual card, but I've referred to this on numerous podcasts before and in private text chains and stuff like that. I consider WrestleMania 17, Dave, the series finale of the Attitude Era. Oh, I'd stretch it out one more year, to be honest with you. I'd stretch it maybe maybe to 19. Yeah, Tony stay in 19. 19 when when Austin Rock and this whole thing, maybe that's the end of it. Um, this might be. Uh, this well, could, me, I think this is the well, apex me, of the Attitude Era right here, and it starts okay. to go down from there. But well, let me make my case, and then I'm I'm gonna throw it back to you right quick. So number one, we have WCW officially close its doors forever and as a WCW mark that still hurts my heart to think about it but Vince McMahon buys WCW he had previously bought, bought ECW as well so WWE is the only game in town and I think that we can all agree that it was the competition that the Monday Night War sparked which led WWE to the heights that it was at at this particular point in time Brock is already immersed in Hollywood. As a matter of fact, at the end of this match, he's gone for like five or six months going to film, I believe it was the Scorpio King because the Mummy 2 had taken off so well. So he's off to go film the Scorpio King. He had did the, the Saturday Night Live shot last year that PC Tunney alluded to earlier. So he's already got one foot out the door. Not only that, now Stone Cold turns heel. So simultaneously, you're use, you're losing the two biggest baby faces in the history of your modern era of your company. Because I don't want to throw any shade to Bruno or any of the guys that came before that, but of the modern era, and I'm saying 75 till now, you're losing the two biggest faces that you've ever had in that particular era. They're both gone, and you didn't have anybody else to replace it. The competition is gone. You absorb the competition. You cherry pick the best talent. And it just seems like this particular WrestleMania, it represented a shift and a change in the industry. Because I don't even think that the industry was ever as hot as it as it had ever been previously to this particular WrestleMania. So it just it just felt like the culmination or the end of an era. So so Dave, go go at it, man. Tear my yeah. shit apart. What I just no said. no no. I I can agree with a lot of what you said. I, that's why I think this is the apex of the Attitude Era. This is this is the crescendo of everything that we've been building to. I don't think it's done. It's going to go downhill from here for sure. I agree. I agree with that part. But I think the Austin Rock batch at WrestleMania 17 is the this is the high water mark of the Attitude Era. This is everything we've been building for. All the momentum that we've built through the Monday Night War is coming to a head in this one match where you have, you know, like we talked about 16, where Austin was gone and all these guys emerged as, wow, these guys can all take the ball and run with it. Now Austin's back. And instead of these guys falling back so that Austin can move forward again, everybody just moves forward. It takes a quantum leap forward. Austin comes back, hasn't missed a beat. Rock gets even more popular. Triple H gets more popular. Jericho emerges more. I mean, these guys just keep 
growing exponentially to the point where, and I don't think it's arguable at all. These there's never been a match, not even Hogan and Warrior, where you had two baby faces who were this popular meeting in the main event of WrestleMania at the same time. And man, if you thought people drew battle lines with Hogan and Warrior, oh man, I don't know about you guys, but the dividing line between Austin and Rock was big time. And Dan, I'm, I'm gonna throw to you, man. But I wanted to, to throw this out there. You can expand upon this and whatever else the fuck you want to say. Watching this block of manias back and jet opposing the main event of WrestleMania 17 with the Austin Hurt match at WrestleMania 13, I feel as if these matches are perfect bookends because they literally told the exact same story. Even to the fact that you had throwbacks to the Austin and, and Hart feud. Like, there was one spot at in this particular match where Austin throws on the Million Dollar Dream and Rock does the, the finish where he steps off the rope and tries to pin him, which pinned Austin versus Bret Hart at Survivor Series 96. He learned from his mistakes from there. And then, of course, the, uh, the heel turn. Because if you go back and watch this match, knowing how it ends up, Stone Cold is subtly working heel the entire time. And you see the desperation and the frustration in his in this match from him. It's like, what do I have to do to put this Melon Farmer away? And then ultimately, he makes that deal with the devil. But I feel like these matches are perfect bookends. But please, go and do your thing. Yeah, and, and similar to, yeah, what kind of what Dave was saying, where this was, you know, you had a, this was almost the start and the finish of, you know, you this is what you were building to almost, right, for these couple years like it, it is where you know Austin started and now here we are kind of at the finish of it right of this whole this whole book and this in a sense it's this is I feel like I in a sense agree with you Platt where this is kind of the the end of an era you know maybe it's not over yet but it's kind of over because they want to do something they're trying to go in a different direction with some things and you see that with the, with the Austin heel turn and you knowing the rock's going to be going away. You're trying to do like, okay, let's try some other stuff. And this is maybe not the end of the attitude era, but the end of an era of things, right? This is the, the finish. And it's a, it's a whole change to everything because this is now we've moved into, I feel like mainstream WrestleMania. This is the first time, you went from 20,000 seat arenas. Now you're in the Houston uh, Astrodome and you got 70,000 people. I mean, it's huge difference. Now you're, you're in this whole new atmosphere of, you know, superstardom and doing, you know, your thing at WrestleMania. So it's, it is a shift in a sense to new things and the whole, like, you know, we talk about the culmination. There's a reason that this match was so good and the build was so good and everything about it just worked. And there's a reason why PC Tunney has my way playing at the beginning of the intro of the show because this is where it comes from. And everybody remembers this build and that song with that montage and how good it was packaged just adds to the amazement and the awesomeness that was this feud and how it finishes right here. If you watch this WrestleMania, 
it's pretty goddamn clear who comes out as the heel and who comes out as the baby face. And, and that's because we're in Texas, right? But Austin only is turning heel so he can screw Vince McMahon over in this whole WWE, WWF, WCW storyline. That's all it is, isn't it? I mean, at the whole end of this, it's it, he, he goes back, right? I mean, and then eventually he comes back to WWF. It's it's just it doesn't it's not it's it's a horrible heel turn face turn as opposed to thirteen where we transition from that back and forth is because no one's really trying to boo Austin no one it doesn't make sense for him to go with McMahon and we don't know what's going to happen yet and then how that plays out to the whole invasion thing that that all sucks as well in my opinion so I honestly it's the worst part of WrestleMania. The fact that this happens this way with Vince McMahon now. And did Earl Hebner think he was a part of this match? Because he wouldn't <laughs> leave anybody alone. Like, I don't know if he thought he was supposed to actually lock up with somebody because he, he just wouldn't fuck off. So, so Dave, hindsight is always twenty twenty vision. I agree with everything Tunney said to a point. This particular story, I think the story that they were trying to tell was that Austin was so desperate to get back on top that he was willing to sell his soul to the devil. Obviously, the way it played out with the invasion, obviously the the Austin heel turn was a huge flop, and I don't know how they thought they were going to be able to pull that off, as Tuddy alluded to, in Austin's home state. Of course they were going to cheer for him over the rock. I mean, it, it was what it was. Is there a question pending? Oh, I thought I froze there for a second. No, I no, apologize, no. But... I was like, I was like, I was like Chris, is Chris expecting me to answer? There, is, I was looking at Tony. He's like, is there a question there? Anyway, go ahead, man. But you were saying how this was going to doom to fail with Austin trying to turn heel in Texas. Well, the thing is, man, the reason that the Hulk Hogan turn worked in WCW is that people were already tired of the Hulk Hogan shtick and they had started to boo him. Just like his last couple of manias at, at in WWF, they had started to boo him already, so the, the crowd was ready for it. Nobody was ready to boo Austin. Austin was still hot as fish grease at this particular point in time. So then the turn, I think we kind of saw it coming because we got a little smarter and a little smarter at this particular point in time, but obviously it didn't work out well. I really didn't see it coming, remembering back and watching this back. But here's here's a good – this is why this Mania Madness series is so excellent because let's go back two episodes or where we talked about WrestleMania five, and when Macho Man turned heel on Hulk. And nobody wanted to boo him, but yet this is what we were programmed to do. We cheer for the heels or cheer for the faces. We boo the heels. Now skip forward to WrestleMania 17. Those fans don't buy that fucking story anymore. They don't buy what they're being sold anymore. Just because you tell me oh, I'm supposed to boo Austin. No, 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 no. I love Stone Cold Steve Austin. I love everything about him. I don't care that you're telling me he's a heel. I'm going to cheer him anyway. And that's why the heel turn flopped. And Austin never did anything that really solidified him as his vile, contemptible asshole. Because he was always that way. So how are you really going to sell him as a heel when he's doing pretty much the same stuff he was doing before and people are cheering for him? So I, you know, that's why, in my opinion, I still love what Austin said. I mean, if he had done what he said, which was where he thought 
you know what? Instead of shaking Vince's hand, I'm going to hit him with a stunner and, and walk. How different would this have been had Austin followed through with his gut instinct, which was the right call to make, and had stunned Vince and just left him lying there? You know, I mean, how different would this be? Austin seems like he sided with Vince, but he's really double-crossed him, and he screwed The Rock over, and he's won the title in Houston, Texas. Wow. If you watch this match back, one of the coolest things I saw from the match is right after it's over and Austin's getting thrown some beards, he uh, he, he puts one down right next to Rock's head on the left side of Rock out of respect, knowing that him and Rock just fucking rocked the shit out of the house. Yeah, and I think like one thing about this match is that, you know, you talk about Austin's desperation and his frustration. Compare this to the match two years ago where at 15, where Austin really, Rock was awesome in that match, but it was almost the inverse of this. Rock couldn't put Austin away no matter what he did. Rock bottoms, people's elbow missing. He couldn't do it. So now we've reversed the narrative here at WrestleMania 17, where now it's Austin who can't put the Rock away, which to me is a sign of, it is respect on Austin's part, and it's acknowledgement by Vince as to just who maybe had the juice at this point in time, and Vince thinking, you know, the Rock is going to eclipse Steve pretty damn soon. I better make him look extra strong in this match. And I think you see that as the match evolves. It's funny because if you think about it, Austin puts Rock over in winning twice. And then it turns. And we'll talk about that in the next one in 19. The, the, the winner loses in these matches. It's It's funny. Yeah, that's that's really that is exactly true that I mean, you could make the argument everybody wins in these things. But yeah, but as you're absolutely right, the winner isn't the one who leaves the match. And you're like, wow, you know, that that other guy really showed up. So, I mean, they're both putting each other over to a great extent. And it, it is easily the greatest trilogy in WrestleMania history, maybe even the greatest trilogy in wrestling history, the rivalry between these two guys. That was well said, gentlemen. So, real quick, because Tony's going to yell at me tomorrow. Um, so, I might yell the at you TLC, too. Yeah, touche. So, the TLC, <laughs> I guess it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So, fuck it. We just rocking with it. So, the TLC, too. I, I thought that this was their best trilogy of matches between Edge and Christian, the Hardys, and the Dudleys. I think that this was the first, this was the best one. We're splitting hairs here. There's not a wrong answer at all. Just my personal preference. I, I prefer this one to the others. That's all. Talk about a rival to Austin and Rock trilogy. I mean, yeah. I, good God. And they're both happening at the same time. Right. You know, that's I mean, amazing thing. It's why this is the greatest time in wrestling history. This is why there's so much more difference in opinion on what we're talking about on this episode as opposed to the previous two. The previous and two episodes were just... We're basically complimenting each other on remembering things and getting over the storylines. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? And now we're here going, no, I think you're full of shit. I think it was this way, et cetera, et cetera, right? And and that's what made wrestling great. Oh, It's PC Tony yeah. telling me, Dave, I'm really glad you're not so senile that you remember some of this shit. Oh, Thank Christ. you, Tony. <laughs> uh, well, another thing, I got to give props to Kurt Angle and he who shall not be named, Lord Voldemort or whatever you Harry Potter marks call him, whatever the fuck. Look, they had a damn good all right. wrestling match. That was we, a damn good wrestling match. And I, I say wrestling like in the purest form. 
before I kick it to Dan, we've got to acknowledge Benoit's personal issue, and people talk about this all the time, separating Benoit, the man, from Benoit, the performer. His performances at, at WrestleMania, this one are, is magnificent. The match with Angle, 1920, fantastic. What he did outside of the ring is beyond contemptible and unforgivable, sure. But <laughs> the whole thing is like, you can't talk about these WrestleManias and not acknowledge what Benoit did. Go ahead, Dan. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump on you there. Yeah. No, you're fine. That's that's the continuation of these undercards that have main event guys, you know, that are just in the waiting. You know, you, Kurt Angle, just this beast of a wrestler that can do everything, and <laughs> you put him in there with Benoit, you, they're going to have a five-star wrestling match, and it's going to be goddamn good. You know, and it's it's that kind of stuff is just amazing to watch, and to figure you know to say that's that's your undercard, that's that's halfway through the show or whatever. You know that, you know you come out, you can open the show with something like that and just have everybody on their feet, and that's you know, and you're off to the races in any event, anytime you want. That's just crazy to think about that. That's that's not even that's not even close to your main event, you know. And you know when it comes to me, you know for the TLC match. For me, it was probably the third on my list, and that's again like PC said. This is what's great about this this era, this time here, is because all these matches you could, they could all be number one. They really could. They're all so amazing. And for me, I, just because it got now that they're they're trying to one up everything they do, and they added it. You know, you tried. They brought in Rhino, and they brought in Spike, and uh, Lita gets involved. You got a lot of guys getting involved in this match, and it. it it starts to water it down, in my opinion, the way I like to watch these matches. That's just my opinion, man. Um, and that's kind of right. why. That's the only reason it's not. It wouldn't be number one, right? I mean, otherwise, you'd argue whichever one you wanted. My Dang. turn to ask a question for you guys. One word answer. Just want to do this. Edge spearing Jeff off the from the belts to the mat, jumping off the ladder. Greatest spot in WrestleMania history, Dan. WrestleMania. Oh man. I have to say yes because I can't think of another one right now. Tony? Yeah. Chris? That's tough, man. I'm going to say no, however. Okay, what's above it then? I'm sorry. I love you. Sweet chin music. Well, that's a moment. Definitely a moment. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about spot. He's talking high spot, biggest high spot ever. I mean, that's got biggest be, high that's spot. That's got to be okay. it because I couldn't wait to. I couldn't exactly remember which one it was from, just because we watched so much shit, and and watching back into what. Do you know? Do you remember the fact that actually Jeff held his legs on the ladder as Bubba pulled it away to the opposite corner to clear everything. Um, Bro, I I peeped that, and I was talking to Amber about that. Like, number one, this could have went horribly wrong because he's holding on to those belts for dear life, but, again, he's trying to maneuver that ladder so they can get stuff out the way. Like, that could have went horribly wrong. So I I, I feel what you said. I, I, peep, I peeped that myself on this. Yeah, I mean, he could have over-rotated. It could have gone really, really bad. The only thing I can think that comes close, Shane jumping off the cell at 32. Maybe. But with the airbag under it? Yeah, that's true. There was no there was no cushion in that ring, that's for damn sure. I got it. Honestly, and I hate it. You know what one it. of the worst ones is? Is Foley in the 
diving from trying to do the spot off of the ring post onto the table and catches at 16. Oh my God. Is that horrible? Go ahead, Chris. What's, what's the one that you thought of? Foley edge, I believe is 22. Foley going through the burning table. I thought we, I thought we were only doing like up till now. I didn't know anything existed after now. Well, nothing does exist, but a couple of things. Number one, uh, I got to give one. props to that. That was well played, sir. But I got to give props to Triple H and Undertaker, even though it was Biker Taker, a match that was literally just thrown together because they had the whole card mapped out and they said, hey, we don't have shit for Undertaker or Triple H. Let's just throw them together. Damn good match. Hey, Dan, that's another brought... hell of a trilogy. I mean, you're yeah. talking WrestleMania trilogies. Taker, Triple H starts right here. And Dan, you talk about ref bumps and stuff like that. This was hilarious. And I I, I did some half-assed internet research because this wasn't a hardcore match or a false count anywhere match. I thought it was. But the ref took a bump and was out incapacitated for 10 minutes. And that's when all that shit happened. (laughs) When the ref was selling his injuries for 10 minutes and they went outside and they did the big bump and all, all of that shit happened in that particular time frame. But it, it was a damn good match. And we also got to give props to Shane versus Vince. I thought they told a hell of a story. And in terms of wrestling and spectacle and shit shows, that was great as well. Honestly, I mean, Shane's oh, first coast. Is this Shane's first coast to coast in this match? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It might have been the biggest pop of the night when Linda kicked Vince in the nuts. When she stood up out the chair, that might have been the biggest pop of the night. Yeah. I mean, they were just cooking with with gas and grease at this particular point in time. I mean, we could do a six-part anthology on this WrestleMania alone. I mean, my God. Right? No argument for me. No, and we didn't even get a chance to get to the XFL. Tony, what's your favorite XFL moment? Uh, he, uh, the, 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 he hate me debuting with the jersey and then he was gone yeah. we didn't know where he was and then we found him remember remember when that happened Papa yeah. Shango wasn't he Papa Shango right? <laughs> is that who was responsible for he hate me disappearing I have no idea I couldn't tell Shot, you. yeah I, we don't have time to get into the XFL now but google it kids but shout out to Rob Smart aka he hate me Rod Smart not Rob a.k.a. he hate me and Tommy Maddox because they got NFL jobs off of that. Full circle, The Rock, who owns the XFL now, may be very well teaming up with the CFL where he actually played pro ball after he went to the University of Miami. So that's how big The Rock is. And he's basically subliminally telling you on NBC once a week. I think for a president. In 2032, you're going to vote for him. So, you know. We'll just keep podcasting until then oh, and see what happens. Vote for him in 2024, right after I cast my vote for Platt Balaz again. Oh, God. My why, man. Why see what I'm saying? He got to wait, like gotta so wait eight years, okay? The shirts, the shirts from last year are already on their way out, man. Are they to Cambodia by now? We ain't, <laughs> won't have anything left. So you're telling me when I tell the good people to go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot and pick up an official chair shot T-shirt, there's not going to be a, a Platt Balaz shirt there for them? I would say you'd have to go there and check it out for yourself. So that means if you go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot, you can still pick up a Platt Blast t-shirt, but you better act now because we're about to ship, ship them shits off to Cambodia, so you gotta act now. Not now, but right now. ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot. Please and thank you, thank you, and please, gentlemen, 
So, Monday Night Wars are over. I don't even know what the hell I just said. But the Monday Night Wars are over. ECW, WWE. WCW, WWE. WWF, WWE. <laughs> yeah, we've made the change around this particular point in time. After this show, but they got the F out eventually. So, WrestleMania 18 emanates from Sky Dome in Toronto. Hogan's return since WrestleMania 9. And I don't know if y'all, you guys know this, but I don't think there's a town in the history of existence that is a bigger Hogan town than Toronto, Canada. I don't understand it. I don't know why. It is what it is. So you've got all of these things culminating. So Hogan's back now. They tried that weird NWO thing in WWE. It worked out to mixed results. Hogan's first mania in nine years, and he's fighting the people's champ, the great one, The Rock. Man, gentlemen, that crowd goes ham, melon, farm, and cheese burger during that match. It is unbelievable. And that's kind of one of the things that I picked up on during this block of mania is just how rabid that crowd was. Okay, maybe during the Yes Movement, maybe during Kofi Mania, and of course, anytime The Rock comes back. But other than that, I can't think of a time in the modern era where the crowd is just that, just nuts. The only other time I, I, the other one that comes to mind that's close is WrestleMania 20 and Goldberg and Brock when they booed them both out of the building, you know, because they knew they were both leaving. And it was amazing this watching this match back and watching it with the Delinator actually and, and trying to describe to her that, hey, The Rock's the baby face in this thing. You know, Hogan's coming in as the big heel, the NWO thing unfortunately fail that was that was really disappointing you know when they tried to bring it in but like <laughs> the the amazingness of the crowd just again this is the, still in that era where the you know where the crowds tell them they're gonna tell you what they want you're gonna try and tell me this nope i'm this is what i'm doing and they cheer they wanted to see old school hulk hogan they wanted the, the you know how they wanted you know all-american you know, play me my music and let me see Hogan do Hogan again. And that's what they wanted, and they weren't taking no for an answer. And Hogan and Rock stood in the ring and said, we gotta fucking do something. <laughs> what the hell do we do? Well, we're switching the script and we're playing, let's play into it. And, that, and that's what they, and the fact that they could do that on the fly and make it work and still do what they needed to do was just, I mean, that's too great artists at what they do doing what they do on the fly and that's just amazing to watch let me just add one thing they screwed up here in in one minute detail they let scott hall come out to the nwo music in the same exact fashion that hulk hogan did and if they were going to do that and let hall and nash go first they should have let hogan come out to Jimi hendrix Yes. Because it didn't differentiate itself. To, watching it back, it doesn't pop as well. The crowd is just as big. It might not have been bigger to when he came out, but it's the same music. It's not the first one. He got the Hogan pop 
he didn't get the Road Warrior pop. That's fair, and I, I agree with you. The only thing is, they would have edited out of the WWE Network and subsequent showings anyway, so it, it doesn't matter at this point. But I feel where you're coming from. I really wish we had more time so we can extrapolate upon the failed invasion angle, but that's probably its own anthology series. Maybe we'll get to that. I, I don't know, but I, I, I agree with you, but just how rabid that crowd was for that match, and my God, you, you, you kind of feel bad for Jericho and Triple H in the main event because how are you supposed to follow that up? I mean, it's like, ladies and gentlemen, that was Michael Jackson. And now, here's more entertainment. What are you supposed to do? Yeah, but at the same time, they had the women's match in between. And you got to think about it. Hunter is such a, Hunter is one of the biggest baby faces coming into this match. I mean, think about it. Like, Stephanie, she's got, she's, she's, she's full Stephanie. Um, and, uh, she's, she's full, 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 full Stephanie. Yeah, we, see you, man. And, uh, yeah, we're picking up what you put down. And 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 Jericho's at, at his peak, but I mean, I think DP, you and I were there when Triple H came back, right? I mean, that was amazing from this injury, and now he's there. I got a little trivia for you guys, real quick. Can you name the six ever undisputed WWE champions? Uh, we doing this as a team? Sure, go ahead. It'll be quicker. We got, we got Jericho, right? Randy Orton. No. Yes. Uh, d- 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 when I say no, then you're wrong. No, no, no. Jericho. I'm not wrong. You're talking about this era specifically. No, you're wrong. Talk about two belts. You're wrong. No, I'm not wrong. The two belts. No, yeah, I'm. I'm not wrong. We're talking you mean about the under the title called the undisputed championship. Yes. Okay, so Jericho, Triple H, Hulk Hogan, Biker Taker. Um, Brock Lesnar. Wasn't Big Show? Big Show. No, we're missing one, right? Uh, Kurt Angle? The Rock. Did we not say The Rock? I thought you said The Rock earlier. Oh, no, we didn't. No. Yeah, The Rock. There you go. Yeah. Brock, Brock was the last after beating The Rock and then took said title to SmackDown where they left the World Heavyweight Championship on Raw. go hmm cool yeah, yeah dave get in here man you've been silent for a little bit man i just the um like what dan was saying about hogan on this one was the crowd's rejection of hollywood hulk hogan and the rebirth of of uh hulk hogan basically all the real american hulk hogan basically saying the crowd saying we don't give a shit what happened in wcw we're a wwf crowd and wwe at this point in time and they brought hulk hogan back but yeah, you know, I, I do I do want to give some love to that women's match because obviously it gets lost completely because of what happened with Hogan and, and The Rock. But Jazz versus Trish versus Lita is kind of the precursor to the modern women's movement that we have now. That's a really good match. They don't get a shit they don't get much time. They only get six minutes. But that was a pretty good match as far as what the women were getting at this point in time. Uh, but yeah, Triple H against Jericho. I mean, Triple H should come back from that devastating quad injury. He was really over. But yeah, I think at this point in time, the crowd is just absolutely spent from from the, going absolutely ape shit for um 
for Rock and Hogan. The thing about WrestleMania 18 that always kind of um, that I always wondered about, and I know we've talked about you know stuff that didn't happen at WrestleMania. Too many no Hogan performances. Well, that notwithstanding, but <laughs> yeah. too many. You know, like we talked about no Hogan Warrior rematch, no Hogan Flair at WrestleMania 8. I think everybody was expecting Hogan Austin at WrestleMania 18, and they went in a different direction. They went Rock Hogan. And then they had Austin just basically destroy whatever remained of the NWO in one match. And I get why they did it, because they wanted to have the poster child of the Attitude Era wipe out the NWO single-handedly. And he more or less does that in that match. But I think WrestleMania 18 is just a notch below 17 as far as greatest WrestleMania. Oh, sorry. I'm Go ahead, no, Chris. no, keep talking, Dave. Keep talking. I, I mean, talking I, I would put it below 17 as far as greatest WrestleManias of all time, but it's a damn good show. I no, mean, Rock versus Hogan isn't isn't a wrestling classic, but as far as moments go, man, it doesn't get much better than that. So just real quick, Teddy, before you interject, and I apologize, brother, but there are a couple of uh, WrestleMania 18 what-ifs. Number one, the original plan on the table after Austin's heel turn was to have him and Triple H as Triple H being the hot baby face headline WrestleMania. Obviously that doesn't happen because Triple H tears his quad. He's out for a year, blah, blah, blah. Number two, Austin, and I've heard them say this out of his mouth. He did not want to work with Hogan at that particular point in time. And I think it was because of that reaction that Hogan got versus the rock. I don't think Austin wanted to, I don't think Austin would have been able to handle that as well as The Rock did when he was just they were just able to call the audible and it's like okay I'm working heel now but Austin was the one that turned down the match versus Hogan because that was the original plan on WWE's table you can shake your head all you want to man but I did my research that's what it was and Austin didn't want to do the match did you talk so to Vince that's cool I heard Austin say it out of his mouth so no, that's pretty damn do you, accurate do you think do you he think also so? says that they alright never mind. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that Hulk would have got that same sort of reaction if he was facing Austin that he got with Because The Rock was generating Most some booze. The Rock was Most, generating booze leading into 18 in some Most places. definitely. And that's why Austin didn't want to do it. Because I said it earlier, man. I don't know for whatever reason. There's not a hotter town in North America than Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Do you want to know what makes Hulk. the most sense? I don't know why. Do you want to know what makes the most sense? Think about where we're about to go with Austin. Think about the money The Rock's about to make for the WWE. Who do you think Vince is more willing to go ahead and start moving forward with as opposed to somebody that is not necessarily willing to put anybody else over because that's about to happen. That's the real story here. Okay, so I'm just going to say Stone Cold's a lie. Plus, they already knew Rock had one foot out the door. This was a thing. The Hollywood thing was already happening. But, but he still came I'm back. He still came yeah, back he the still next came two years. Back, but he wasn't, yeah, but he wasn't. But Austin wouldn't put over Lesnar. So why would Vince want to work with Austin as opposed to Rock? It wasn't that he didn't want to put over Lesnar. It was the situations and circumstances. But that's neither here nor there. That's, Bottom that's, line, as his words go. He didn't want to work with Hogan. That's the bottom line. The he bottom line is he didn't do what he was told after he had been given so many, so many, so many, so many, so many, so many wins. Okay, cool. He didn't want to work with Hogan. And I'm sure he's kicking himself about it out. Because the Scott Hall match, it was okay. Number one, it didn't have the heat that you would expect to have. And number two, 
considering the two combatants in it, you thought it would have been a better match because both of those guys are were great workers, especially at that time. But it it was high. Right. It was this was another one. You know, I talked about botch finishes and interferences and ref bumps that happened all around this era. You know, this was another one where we did all that kind of stuff too. Uh, but my favorite part of the Austin versus Scott Hall match was the referee at the end who comes sprinting down to the ring and slides completely across the ring into perfect position to make the two count when when Hall hits him. I I popped hard for that, honestly. I was like, this that guy kicks ass, dude, slid perfectly into can, position. That was amazing. Can you name that referee in his first appearance at WrestleMania? Um, no, I was gonna say Mike Kyoto, but he was the one that got knocked out at the beginning, right? No, nope. uh, he said it. Jr. said his name too, and I'm forgetting it. I can't remember his name, but his first appearance is WrestleMania Nine. He's on the stretcher in a toga, taking Taker out after the chloroform. Been waiting yeah. to add that little tidbit since. Wow, then. nice. Oh, none of that one. And, huh? and how about the ovation for Hogan, <laughs> the Raw after Mania, in Montreal? That is one of the greatest ovations I've ever seen in, in, in Monday Night Raw history. That was insane. Yeah, I feel like this, you know, we talked about it with the WCW coming in and everything. This, you know, you mentioned it earlier. This was just, this was an attempt to say WWE was better than WCW and this is why. And Stone Cold taking out the NWO, you know, The Rock beating Hogan. You had Edge beating Booker T, like, I think DDP ended up winning his match with Christian and that, you know, but whatever. But I mean, it was, it was a way to just solidify the fact that we are the WWE and we won't be beaten. And you missed out on Taker beating Flair, which was an underrated match as well. That was a damn good match on that card as yep. well. But it goes to your point. Yeah. And it is. And this is the match where the streak kind of really starts to come into its own because even Taker at the end of this one, holds up the hands like, what is he, 10-0 now? Is that what he is? Or something like that? And, uh, and I, I mean, when, when Arn hits Taker with that spine buster, this is the beginning of the false finishes that, that oh, the streak's over. No, it's not. You know, this is kind of where that kind of, that seems to really originate. So, what's up? No, most definitely, most definitely. You're absolutely right. So, on a scale of, I, I want to ask this because I think Dave, you brought it up earlier that this mania kind of gets lost in the sauce because seventeen was so great, but this wasn't a bad show up and down the card. I don't think so. On a scale of oh. one to ten, what you guys think? Just around the horn, right quick. Then we're gonna take a quick break. Eight and a half, nine. I mean, it's it's the damn good show. DP. Yeah, I'd probably say seven and a half. Tony. It's it's tough to put all these together. You know, it's such a storyline. So, I mean, yeah, eight, eight and a half, whatever. We're on a stretch here where it's 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 just going to continue to ride for a while. You're right. I would say eight just off the strength of Rock and Hogan because that was such a moment. But that being said, let's take a quick break. We'll come back with Platt's facts and we'll wrap this thing up. Chris, take it over. Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. 
So the list is a little spry this week because, I mean, let's just keep it a buck. There's not a whole lot we don't know about this particular era at this point in time, right? Because the Internet exists. There you go. Then they can't lie on the Internet. I don't know if y'all remember that commercial. All right, so just real quick. So it's funny. So prior to being the special guest referee at the submission match at WrestleMania 13, Ken Shamrock actually had a handshake deal to wrestle Hashimoto in the Tokyo Dome for the IWGP New Japan World Heavyweight title. And eventually Vince just gave him an offer he couldn't refuse, so that shit fell through. I just thought that was interesting. Summer Andrew has a boner. Yeah, I, I knew he'd pop for that. That's for you, balls. So, at this particular point in time, at WrestleMania 13, Bret Hart, at the time set the record for the most consecutive Wrestlemania matches with 12. Of course, that would be eclipsed later on by The Undertaker, but not until 2013. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, he missed out on 16. Taker wasn't at 16. Yeah, he was injured. So Sid, whether you want to call him Psycho, just Sid. Y'all know what I'm talking Softball. about. I, I went through this last Softball. week. Softball. Softball, Psycho, Vicious, whatever. Only worked two manias his entire career. Both of those manias, he main evented. One versus Hogan at WrestleMania 8. The other versus Taker at WrestleMania 13. Sid was, was a lot smarter How about than his that? words led on. Yeah. Talk about getting the most bang for your buck, right? For the minimal amount of work, you work with two Hall of Famers in the main event of WrestleMania. And you turn in a shit match both times. Well, I don't know about that. But anyway, go ahead, Chris. <laughs> Moving right along here. We heard so, your real opinion. So this is interesting. So WrestleMania 2000, which was out in Anaheim, California, the estate of the late great Tupac Shakur actually refused to license the song California Love to the WWF. For whatever reason, I have no idea. Giant they just didn't want to do it. I agree. I think that could have been cool, but they didn't uh, want to do it for whatever reason. They'd yes. still be making money off of that. Because yeah, WWE is real controversial compared to what Tupac <laughs> was involved in. So, Triple H, the only person to wrestle at both WrestleManias that emanated from Anaheim, California. Got squashed by Warrior at 12, won the main event in 2000. Yeah. Okay, cool. Speaking of Triple H, there was actually a plan on the table for him at WrestleMania 17 to wrestle Mike Tyson. However, the price tag that Tyson came back to the WWF with, they didn't want to match it. So briefly, there was also an alternate plan on the table for him to wrestle Ray Lewis at that WrestleMania. And remember, the Ravens had just won the Super Bowl that year as well. Obviously, that didn't work out, and it probably worked out for the best because him and Taker had a, a fabulous match that year. So, leading to the build to WrestleMania 18 between Ric Flair and Undertaker, I don't know if you guys remember the angle on Raw where Ric Flair swung on Taker, he missed and ended up hitting a fan and got arrested. Do you guys remember that angle? Do either yep. of, any of you know who that fan was? Um... Frankie McSorley. I think he was my next door neighbor. 
good uh, guess. No, years, uh, it was a Frank. It was Frank Grimes. That was great. Oh, grimy. <laughs> it, it was actually future WWE superstar Paul London. Nice. One half of the yeah. longest nice, reigning nice SmackDown tag getting... champions of all time. London yeah, and nice to see they're getting Kendrick. punched by Ric Flair didn't turn him off from the business. So That's how he got to <laughs> hold that tag titles for so long. So there was an offer on the table for Bret Hart to main event, be the referee to main event WrestleMania 2000, I believe. And he turned it down for, you know, whatever. He wasn't, yeah. Bret still wasn't fucking with them at the time. So, moving right along. He's still under contract to WCW by then, or was that it might have? It might have been two thousand. It might have been two thousand and one, man. I beg your pardon. No, 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 no. I, I, yeah, I misspoke. It was actually WrestleMania eighteen. It there was a I don't there was a contract. He they offered him to be able to wrestle to main event. Yeah, y'all know was, what I'm saying. It was in the year of two movies too. Thank you, thank you. Last but not least, everybody knows about the Undertaker streak. Does anybody know Edge. who's the wrestler Ten. that no 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 let me finish. Huh? The wrestler who has the longest No no the wrestler that has the longest current streak. Uh, Scott Hall only wrestles Hall of Ro- Famers at WrestleMania, be, by the way. I I'm gonna go with Roman Reigns. I just want you to know that. No, that can't be Roman. He got his ass kicked at thirty four. Never mind. Just say you give up. You'll never get it. Y'all will never get it. Just say you give up. Active wrestler? I didn't say that. I oh, said wrestler man. with the longest active streak. Oh, man. Okay. Well, hey. Oh, boy. Hey, no. Uh, Ed, no, it's not Edge. It's, it's Kane. not Edge. It's Kane. It's not, it's not Kane. AJ I'm Styles. talking about longest active winning streak. Is it Simon, God of Hairdos? <laughs> I don't even know who the hell that is. Who the hell is that? Jeff, God of Biscuits, his best friend. Yeah, shout out to Jeff, God of Biscuits, but it's not him either. Brock Lesnar. And, okay, enough here. Rob Van Dam. One of a kind. One of a kind. Who who, who made his WrestleMania debut at 18, and his current undefeated streak stands at 4-0. Women. So I think Taker's safe, okay? <laughs> Completely. See, man, I, I blocked out AJ's match with Taker from my mind, you know, because I don't know why. RVD, though, completely winless on the highway against the sheriffs with Sabu in tow. I guess it evens out, right? (laughs) If you guys could have just done the speed limit, we could have a whole different history for Rob Van Dam. You could have drank all the beer you wanted and smoked whatever you needed to do. You just had to go. You know, if you would have just been listening to Sammy Hagar, you all would have been fine. I just want to see a tag team with RVD and Riddle. I mean, that could be a lot of fun. Could you imagine? We were going to fight for the belts, but then we got high. (laughs) I was going to tap you out, but then I got high. I'm stuck here at the station, and I know why. Why, Oh, tell me. Tell me why, Chris. Because I got a, because I got a, because I got a. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Last but not least, the MVPs for WrestleManias thirteen through eighteen. 
I've already got it pulled up, Tony, so don't even worry about it. So our final tally here. Who did you and Amber vote for nominees. this week? Shut up. The four nominees were Triple H, The Rock, Stone Cold, and Undertaker. And I think those are for obvious reasons. I don't have to explain what we were doing here. So Triple H and The Rock, they actually tied with 15% for second place. Undertaker bringing up the rear with 13%. And of course, overwhelmingly, Stone Cold Steve Austin was the main event and MVP of Mania's 13 through 18. Because I mean, quite frankly, this was the Stone Cold era. We missed the bookends, but I mean, this is when it got hot as fist grease, right, gentlemen? I mean, does anybody does anybody have a disagreement? Like, who do y'all think is the MVP, and why is it Stone Cold, basically? I voted. I voted for Stone Cold. So Hell gotta, yeah. It's got to be Stone Cold. I mean, Hell yeah. I mean, when you're talking about a guy who replaced Hulk Hogan, which was damn near unthinkable, and Stone Cold came in and made more money and just took it took the I mean took the business to levels that you couldn't have possibly imagined. I he's got to be the MVP. What? Exactly. And that we can't go away. Hopefully prayerfully when fans come back we ain't got to deal with that shit no more. But that being said, so that was us discussing WrestleMania's 13 through 18. Dan, my brother, seriously, it's always great to see you, man. Been too long. We got to do it again sometime. Let the good folks know where they can find you and what you got going on. It was a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me during this uh, Attitude Era because it is the best era of all of wrestling ever, and it happened in my prime uh, of TV watching for wrestling. So I loved it. I enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you, guys. You can find me all over the chairshot.com uh, in the entertainment section for A Winner Is You, where we talk video games. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and on Facebook at A Winner Is You, the letter U, A Winner Is You, along with the wrestling side of things on the DWI podcast, which you can follow at Podcast DWI and on Facebook.com slash DWI podcast. Dave, you don't work yourself into a shoot, brother, because you're here now. This is a permanent thing, man. So why don't you let the good folks know where they can find you and what you got going on? Man, at least Dan had a prime. I never had a prime, so fuck. <laughs> We That's heard awesome, you WrestleMania man. 9 was your prime. That was my prime. You're right. Thank you, Tony. Come on. No one has better wrestling stories than you do, brother. <laughs> you can uh, find me on Twitter at Attitude Ag. That is at Attitude A-G-G. And on Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. And also, check us out at Bandwagon Nerds every Monday. At, I don't even know what time it appears. Tony's in charge of that shit. I just post the damn thing. So I don't know what time we come on there. But... This is going to be a big week for Bandwagon Nerds. Zack Snyder's cut, Falcon and Winter Soldier, our top 10 comedies of the 90s. We need to get DP back on that damn show, Tony. We really knew. We re- Founding Father, one of them. Jesus. I, I came in like episode six. I don't you, know. You know how to get all <laughs> Close them. enough to Founding. Jesus, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember any gingers as Founding Fathers, but they all wore wigs, so what the hell do I know? Tuddy... Where can they find you besides all over the chair shot all day, a day? Find me at PC Tunny. Uh, I just want to thank everybody for listening to Chair Shot Radio Network. Like these guys said, we got tons of things for you to listen to: sports, entertainment, and sports entertainment. You guys can find me on Twitter at the Real C Platt. I'm all over Chair Shot as well. 
But more importantly, if you enjoy the content we provide day in and day out, make sure you guys go to Pro Wrestling Tees and Gals. Go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot. Pick up an official chair shot t-shirt. Please and thank you, thank you, and please. Folks, I've had a ball this week. I only hope and pray that you all had as much fun listening to this show as I did making it. Thank you to DDP for coming out and hanging out with us. Thank you to Dave for working himself into a shoot. Platt Whisperer, Tony, you already know what it is. Thank you guys for tuning in. Until next time, we'll see you right back here next week. Same Platt time, same Platt channel. Until then, shalom. And watch your manias. Roll another. Yeah. I was gonna clean my room until I got high. <laughs> I was gonna get up and find the broom, but then I got high. My room is still messed up, and I know why. Why, man? Yeah, cause I got high. Because I got high. Because I got high. La, da, 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 da. I was gonna go to class before I got high. Come on, y'all. Check it out. Uh, I could have cheated and I could have passed, but I got high. Uh, uh. La, da, da, I'm taking da, da, da. it next semester and, and I know why. Why, man? Why? Yeah, hey, cause I got high. Because I got high. Because I got high. Go to the next one. Go to the next one. Go to the next one. Uh, I was gonna go to court. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.